requesting my gavel to call to order this meeting. It's a regular meeting of the San Francisco Civil Service Commission on Monday, February 5, 2024 at 2 p.m. Our commission staff will read a statement with more information about our meeting today. Thereafter, staff will tell us how we're handling public comment. Good afternoon and welcome to the Civil Service Commission meeting this Monday, February 5th, 2024. This meeting is being held in hybrid format. The meeting occurring in person in City Hall, room 400 and available to view on WebEx if you have an item scheduled on the agenda. Public may listen to the meeting by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 2663-668-3479. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment on items not on the agenda at the beginning of the meeting. And there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to three minutes. Public comment will be taken both in person, remotely by video or call-in. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person, and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Commission staff will provide further instructions on how to provide public comment via phone or video. If you need assistance accessing the meeting virtually or by phone, please call 628-652-1100. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of this meeting body. Commission staff will now provide further instructions on making public comment remotely. As stated on our agenda and our website, this meeting is being held in person and remotely. For members of the public attending remotely who wish to make public comment, the phone number is 415-655-0001. The meeting access code is 2663-668-3479. Please make sure that you're in a quiet location and that you turn off any television or radio to reduce background noise so the commission can hear you. At the appropriate time, the president will ask the phone lines to be open for any public comment. If you wish to comment on the particular item, you will be prompted to press star three. This will add you to the speaker queue. The other prompt will say that callers are entering question and answer time. You will be queued up in the order in which you press three, start three. There will be an automated voice that will tell you when it, it is your turn to speak. You will have three minutes. When your microphone has been unmuted, you will hear the meeting facilitator ask you to state and spell your name for the record and make your comments. Commission staff will begin your three minutes when you start speaking. When your time is up, you will be asked to finish your comments and the meeting facilitator will place you back on mute. Thanks. Thank you, staff. We are ready for the first agenda item. Item number one, call to order and roll call. President Minor. Here. Vice President Favetti. Here. Commissioner Crowley. Present. Commissioner Leung. Here. Commissioner Salveson. Here. And we have a quorum. 
We are ready for the next agenda item. Item two, request to speak on any matter within the jurisdiction of the Civil Service Commission, but not appearing on today's agenda. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on any matter within the jurisdiction of the Civil Service Commission. If you're in the room, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three. We will take uh, speakers who are in the room with us first, and you will have three minutes. Please announce your name. My name is Ellen D. President Miner, I, I apologize for interrupting. If I may please read yes, my script. Please. Thank you. During general public comment, members of the public sometimes wish to address the Civil Service Commission regarding matters that may come before the Commission in its capacity as an adjudicative body. The Commission does not restrict this use of general public comment. To protect the due process rights of parties to its adjudicative proceedings, however, the Commission will not consider, in connection with any adjudicative proceeding, statements made during general public comment. If members of the public have information that they believe to be relevant to a matter that will come before the Commission in its adjudicative capacity, they may wish to address the Commission during the public comment portion of that adjudicative proceeding. The Commission will not consider public comment in connection with an adjudicative proceeding without providing the parties an opportunity to respond. At this time, the Commission will take public comment on matters not on the agenda, but within the jurisdiction of the Commission. The maximum time allowed will be three minutes unless a significant number of speakers request to be heard, in which event the Commission President or Chair may elect to reduce the maximum time allowed. A subsequent comment made by an individual speaker after their initial allowance is limited to one minute. Hey. Thank you, Executive Officer. We are now ready for your public comment. My name is Ellen Li Zhao, E-L-L-E-N-L-E-E-Z-H-O-U. Good afternoon. I was a public health worker for public health for more than 15 years. I am a union delegate representing government employees. I am here pledge allegiance to the flag of United States of America and to the Republic which it stands indivisible with liberty, justice for all, born and born and vaccinated and vaccinated people. In Jesus' name, amen. I have been coming here to the civil service commissioners many, many years between 2016 to last year. The last time I was in here was December 8, 2023. I expressed my concerns, you, the commissioners, and the civil services and the human resources wrongfully terminated unvaccinated Christians and Catholics in 2022. I am one of those wrongfully terminated Christians. I love Jesus and God is my God and this God is the Abraham, Jacob and, I, and Isaac. We the unvaccinated wrongfully terminated public workers file 11 federal lawsuits and five state lawsuits against San Francisco's unconstitutional medical tyranny to require a bioweapon. Now we've been proved many people vaccinated, pass away and die and suffering from a lot of health issues. How do we know? Because it's public information. I was a public health worker. I exposed all those lies. The leaders within our city lie to you about your mask, about your N95 mask, lie about this test, test, test. The virus was never isolated. There was a host. There was never a vaccine. But we have flu and a bioweapon to take down America. 
Today, on behalf of the wrongfully terminated government employee, I am here to ask you to work with DHR, the mayor, and the labor department to reinstate all 1,168 Christians and Catholics. Otherwise, you are liars and deceptors. You are not working for the public. We now have more than 3,000 empty positions to be hired, and yet, we, the unvaccinated people who have family, who love Jesus, who love God, who love you, are not able to work because you're unvaccinated, unconstitutional policy. So I'm here to remind you, this nation is founded by biblical principles. I came from another country for freedom. What you have done in here is not for the people. You are here to support tyranny's Agenda 21, who is depopulate us, our nation, to be diminished so they can usher in one world order government. So wake up, San Francisco. Hire all the people back. Thank you, and may God bless you all. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your public comment. This is for public, public uh, record, because I gave you guys this. This will be public record. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Uh, our Deputy City Attorney Zareski has a public has a comment. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. I just is my mic on. Yes. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, emphasize two things. Number one, to reiterate the point that the executive officer made with respect to uh, comments that pertain to adjudicative cases. Um, but the second point I wanted to make in light of the public comment. Uh, is that to the extent uh, you have any adjudicative cases, and I think there may have been one on the agenda, uh, there's no place in a due process adjudication uh, for an appeal to religious passion or prejudice, uh, and that you know you have to decide adjudicative cases based on the facts and the law. And the law. Uh, so I just wanted to make that comment in light of what we heard. Uh, thank you, Deputy City Attorney. We are ready for the next public comment. Yeah, um, my name is Steve Zeltzer. I'm with the United uh, Front Committee for a Labor Party. I wish the City Attorney was uh, uh, more aware of illegal terminations of employees. City Attorney is supposed to represent the people of San Francisco, yet it seemed the City Attorney allowed this commission and allowed the Department of Human Resources to illegally fire over 1,000 employees and coerce them to retire. Uh, that it may cost the city and county of San Francisco and the taxpayers over $100 million. So I'd like to know where the city attorney was on that. Did the city attorney approve that? If so, why did the city attorney approve these firings? But what's going on in San Francisco is a massive corruption crisis. Every week, we read in the newspapers of another scandal, of another corruption scandal, of so-called nonprofit agencies and no one seems to be in charge of oversight. Now, you have told some of the nonprofit workers here who've been illegally fired and also been harassed and exposed corruption that they shouldn't come to this commission. I don't agree that that should be the position. You do oversight. You do oversight because unions come here and talk about the outsourcing and contracting out of work in these agencies, and they can do it. Public Works can do that work, yet it's being outsourced. So you do administration of the nonprofits, of the agencies that you give contracts to. And what we're saying is, first of all, if you do public work, you should be a public worker. 
Home care workers, social workers, and workers who work for nonprofits are doing public work. They should be public workers in the city and county of San Francisco. Second of all, that this corruption crisis that San Francisco is having is not unique. It's happening all over the country. It's part of outsourcing and privatization with no oversight. And the cronies of the politicians get these contracts and then they are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars and the workers do not, are not paid living wages in San Francisco. There are many workers in these so-called public-private partnerships in San Francisco that are doing public work on the streets of San Francisco. They're doing public work, but they're not public workers. What is that? It's called union busting. You're having workers work at substandard wages, doing public work, but not being paid as public workers. So we are organizing a campaign to demand, first of all, that there be an end to the attack on public workers and nonprofit workers who speak out, that these workers be rehired. And I don't agree that something that's in the attorney's office for negotiation should not be discussed. Because I and other people of San Francisco are paying attorneys to fight these workers so they don't come back. That's wrong. Why is our money going to pay for attorneys fighting an illegal discharge of over a thousand workers? That's something the people of San Francisco have to ask. You should settle this uh, suit and you should bring these workers back, not only the workers that were fired, but also the workers that were coerced to retire. And also you're changing the rules which threaten civil service to encourage more nepotism and more cronyism. That has to stop. Civil service must be protected. You must have professional workers and getting rid of civil service rules are not protecting the public and city workers. Thank you. Thank you for your public comment. Next speaker, please. Any additional public comment in the room? From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free in love and honor of the Palestinian people who are Excuse sacrificing me. their lives. Can you please stay in space? I'll say it at the end. Who are sacrificing their lives for justice and their struggle for liberation, which is very much connected to the struggle for workers' rights here in San Francisco, especially amongst the corrupt nonprofit agencies. It is your duty, commissioners, to investigate these nonprofits and how they are using city funding, which you approve. The ones I'm calling out today are Mission Housing, La Raza Central Legal, La Raza Community Resource Center, and Reading Partners for the illegal expulsion, harassment, and intimidation of workers at Compañeros del Barrio. It is your duty, commissioners, to investigate Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation for the wrongful termination of 18 employees due to retaliation and discrimination based on race and age, as 80% of those laid off were workers of color and over half were seniors and youth workers. TNDC has also violated the Sunshine Ordinance and only held one public board meeting in 2023, despite the drastic changes in programs and layoffs. TNDC is also guilty of selling out city workers who are unionized as they plan to lay off a DPH nurse and contract with a private health care company. 
please investigate what is going on at Mission Housing, at La Raza Central Legal, at La Raza Community Resource Center, at Reading Partners, and at Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation. We need you to do your part. Thank you. My name is Monique Flamburis, and I'm a former social worker from TNDC. Thank you for your public comment. Uh, any additional public comment in the room? Good afternoon. My name is Maria Cristina Gutierrez. This is the third time that I come here to you. And you tell me that you can do nothing and send me somewhere else. And it's really with a heavy heart that I come here to talk to you today because when I look at what's going on in, in Palestine and the killing of the children, I look at what's happening to me and I see it as so small compared to that. But then I look at it and I see how it is related. And it is the fact that we want to spend money on war and genocide but not on providing housing, healthcare, jobs, and good education for all our people right here in this city and this nation. I come here because it is important that you do anything in your power to put an end to the retaliation that these nonprofits do on the workers that they have because the workers and see, I'm an executive director, so I know what is being done. Workers have no union benefits. Workers have no retirement benefits. Workers cannot fight when they get fired. And like the president of a board of directors who was a, a, a worker of La Raza Resource Center got fired and accused of uh, sexual uh, harassment and nothing was proven, but he was fired and nothing happened. But see, you guys are elected or nominated to guarantee that this city is run rightly. And what are you doing? Three times, three months coming here, begging you to go and investigate, and then you tell me, yes, City Hall is going to do it? So what do you do? What do you do? You should be investigating, and if you cannot do it, then you should demand that an investigation be done because the money of mission housing is being misused because the money that was given to the Centro, Centro del Pueblo is being misused, and that's why we are punished. That's why we were kicked out because they are stealing from the city. They are stealing from our own, our own tax money. And we demanded it that it should not happen. They are hiring only their friends. This is ridiculous. We provided all the information to you guys. We made copies. It took time to write this down. I hold you responsible. I hold you responsible for what's happening in this city, for the exploitation of the workers of nonprofit, for the threat to the workers of the government here that are working for the city. I hold you responsible for all that. Look into your heart and find out 
what you're really doing to end this madness. That's all I come here to tell you. You are responsible. You are responsible to put an end to this madness. You are responsible to guarantee that the workers of nonprofits are treated like workers with the rights and all the rights that workers should have, that we don't become a threat to the city workers. You are responsible for that, brothers and sisters. Thank you are. Thank That's you all I can say. Thank comment. you. Uh, we will move to the next speaker. If there is a speaker in the room, please come to the podium. Uh, Elizabeth, we, it looks, it appears that we're ready for public comment um, from the telephone. Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. Uh, thank you. We appreciate the public comment uh, that you shared with the commission today. We are ready to move to the next agenda item. Item three, approval of minutes, commissioners, for the special meeting of January 30, 2024, because it was so close to today's meeting, we ask that the minutes be postponed to the meeting of March 4, 2024. Uh, thank you. We're ready for the next agenda item. Item four, announcements. There are no announcements of changes to the agenda. We are ready for the next agenda item. Item five, human resources director's report. Uh, Director Howard, thank you for being with us today and we are ready for your report. Good afternoon, President Minor, members of the commission, Kate Howard, deputy director at DHR. I'm happy to provide you a brief report today uh, regarding some work that DHR is doing in preparation of um, for the March 4th commission meeting related to nurse hiring. Um, we're working closely with DPH's human resources division to gather the data that um, will be needed so that the nurse hiring report will be uh, uh, thorough and comprehensive for you. We're also working closely with them um, to reduce their 207 full-time vacancies within the 2320 registered nurse class. As part of their efforts to expedite the filling of these vacancies, DPH is looking to eliminate additional barriers in hiring throughout the process. One of the things DPH is piloting is a new nurse hiring program where nurse managers are more involved in the screening of nearly 1,800 eligibles who are on the, the list. Uh, and they're reviewing these for job related criteria, such as experience at working in a level 1 or level 2 trauma center experience, working in critical care, etc. Uh, this is all in an effort to quickly move candidates to the next phase of the hiring process, which is the interview stage. Uh, as a result, director Eisen has approved the suspension of DHR's policy on redacting applications during the post referral selection process. Um, and as we have presented to the commission previously, um, if, if we don't redact applications for continuous class based testing, which is the exam that we use for RNs, it creates an over processing and, and ultimately delays uh, hiring for nurses. So that is my brief update in advance of the uh, report that you'll hear from D DPH at the March 4th meeting. Thank you. Uh, thank you, commissioners. Any questions for uh, Deputy Director Howard? Uh, thank you. No questions from the commissioners. 
We will take public comment on the report you've heard from Deputy Director Howard. If you have public comment, you may come to the podium. Uh, your public comments limited to three minutes. And if you are on the telephone and you have public comment, you may press star three now. Well, good afternoon again. My name is Ellen Li Zhao. I was a former public health worker. The question to Deputy Director Kay Howard here, how many people you were wrongfully terminated in public health who are nurses? That's the question. You know, it takes about years of school to be a registered nurse, yet you fire them because they don't agree with your bioweapon policy, which is the unvaccinated people. And now that you're saying that you sort staff, isn't that a lie? That's a lie. Same thing with the police. It takes a year and a half to hire a police. And you fire 200 people, the police, and say that, oh, we are shortage in police. Altogether, you fire 1,168 Christians and Catholics who love Jesus, who love God, who read the Bible, who stand for you in this gap to say no to the globalists. Yet, you have the guts continue to lie to the public. If you have 3,000 empty vacay positions, right, Ms. Howard? Because you're saying that you have a lot of vacay, 207 public nurses vacayed, but yet you wouldn't hire the people who are unvaccinated. You cannot prove people are at risk. You cannot prove COVID-19 was exist. Nothing. Now all this report came out in court. We got 10,000 lawyers, more than 10,000 doctors and nurses came out. COVID-19 was never isolated. It was a host. It was a lie for the globalists to take down America so they can usher in a one world government. I am from a different country. I can read and write and listen and understand another language. I came here for freedom. What you do, public health, what you do in here, Director Howard, I'm surprised that Kara Eisen is not here. So commissioners, mayor who's not here, Lyndon Breed, the biggest liar of all, and also the director of labor department and human resources, Kara Eisen. We, the public health workers who are unvaccinated because we understand there's a law, it's called procedure by consent. If you have a bioweapon around and you have a medical procedure, you're forcing people to accept COVID-19 and people understand it's illegal because we represent the government. Yet, all your people sitting in here, I'm not gonna call you liars for no reason. If you not change people to rehire all unvaccinated people right now, right here, and you continue to hire people and keep telling people the unvaccinated policy lifted on August 2023, but yet you're not rehiring people, including the nurses. You're all liars, public liars. Shame on you people. Can you wake up? Can you wake up and see the truth in here? We've been deceived and we've been lied, and the people in charge, they use politics to coerce people who are workers, who are paying bills, who are moms, dads, who are family, leaders at home. Wake up, San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment? This is public comment on the uh, Deputy Director DHR report. Steve Zeltzer, United Front Committee for a Labor Party. 
I, I, we didn't get a report here today about what is happening with these fired workers. Why? No report? And you say it's it turned over the attorneys. This could be years. And I think the people of San Francisco should know millions of dollars, in my view, over $100 million are going to be spent paying back these workers to return them to work and return them the money that they uh, lost, uh, and also the workers who were coerced to retire. So the question is, is why are you wasting the city and county money fighting an illegal action that you took, the city attorney took, in allowing this firing, and as well as this commission in allowing this firing? Uh, that, that cost is going to be paid by the people of San Francisco, the taxpayer. The mayor is responsible for that cost because the mayor made that decision. In the county of Alameda, they did not fire workers for not taking the vaccine. Why is that? In Los Angeles, they did not fire workers uh, in, in the county, city, uh, county, city, county of Los Angeles for not taking the vaccine. Why were they fired in San Francisco and not in these other counties? They have testing to provide protection for workers if you have COVID and you don't want to infect other people. That could be done. But these workers were fired illegally, and there's a shortage of 6,000 uh, positions in San Francisco. Many of these people have the skills. They're qualified. They've spent years at their jobs. They should be back at work immediately. Instead, apparently, the Department of Human Resources and the mayor want to spend millions of dollars more on attorneys to fight these city workers. That's wrong. It's politically bankrupt. It's an attack, really, on the people of San Francisco and the people who need services in San Francisco. Uh, thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment in the room? This is public comment on DHR's report agenda item number five. Elizabeth, any public comment on the telephone? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, uh, thank you. We are ready to move to the next agenda item. Item six, executive officers report, fiscal years 2024 through 25 and 25 through 26, mayor's budget instructions and department budget preparation schedule. Recommendation, direct commission staff to prepare fiscal years 2024 through 26, budget request to maintain appropriate staffing levels to meet ongoing and future service needs. Continue to negotiate amounts necessary to achieve optimal results. Incorporate changes made by the commission by the budget request submission deadline and approve to submit the fiscal years 2024 through 26 budget request to the controller and the office of the mayor by February 21, 2024. Deputy Director Holmes, we are ready for your presentation. Thank you, President Minor. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Um, happy Black History Month, happy Chinese New Year, happy Valentine's Day. And if I missed anything, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, good to be here. Um, I understand you just received the budget report, so I just want to go over some highlights. Um, in my last report, you heard me talk about the um, the but the mayor's budget instructions to departments that included a reduction, an ongoing reduction in general uh, fund support of 10% in the next two fiscal years and a contingency proposal of an additional 5%. Um, so you have the numbers there. It's a significant amount for the Civil Service Commission, um, which we cannot 
um, afford without um, reducing our, the number of FTEs. Our, our budget is very lean. Our costs are almost completely fixed. Um, if you see with the exception of uh, non-professional services and uh, materials and supplies, that's really the only place where we have wriggle, wiggle room. It's not very much. It's only about $30,000, so it doesn't get us near uh, what is being requested of departments. I did um, just want to bring a couple of things to your attention in that um, in reviewing our six-month budget report for the current fiscal year, we have achieved some savings, um, particularly in salaries, because uh, we had a delayed hiring of our 1426, which was a bit of savings and a leave of absence. Uh, we have not spent all of our professional service and materials and supplies budget, so we got about $110,000 in savings. And while that is not, um, doesn't really count for the savings that is being requested. I just want to make the point that we have achieved that, although it doesn't, it's not going to be reflected in our budget savings um, based on the request that was made. Um, and I guess just additionally, in looking at our budget, we do have some savings in that uh, the rent was decreased slightly. Um, by about $8,000. So the services of other departments does go down a little bit. Um, and there were a couple of other adjustments and we right sized our salaries um, based on the actual costs for the next two fiscal years. The proposed um, budgets in the prior years were what the uh, projections were. And so these are these are our actual. So in any event, um, it looks like we, if the budget is accepted, we would save approximately 3.7% in year one and 3.4% in year two, based on what we are proposing here with just a slight reduction in professional services, the materials and supply um, was already uh, reduced and the services of, of other departments was already used by the mayor's budget office. But if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer what I can. Hey, um, Deputy Director Holmes, thank you for your presentation. Uh, commissioners, questions? Commissioner Leon. Can, uh, thank you for the report. Can you explain to me the difference between services of departments and expenditure recovery? Services of other departments. So services of other departments include like um, DT costs, the rent costs, um, are the CSC's proportion of uh, services from DHR, the telephone, you know, things like that. So it's the services that other city departments provide to the commission. So those are the services to other departments of other departments that we. And then for the expenditure recovery, is that the money that we re? Oh, the expenditure yep. recovery are work orders with uh, PUC and the MTA. Sorry. Um, their assignments and they work order us those funds. Uh, commissioners, any additional 
uh, questions, comments. I do have one more. Yes. Refresh my memory why we only recovered, uh, get expenditure recovery from PUC and MTA, not other departments. That is a historical question. I believe our executive director will need to respond to. Okay. Thank you. Commissioners, um, just for historical purposes and uh, Commissioner Favetti may be adding to it. Um, uh, before we were completely supported by the general fund, it was actually the controller and this may be back in 2004. It may be that uh, it was the controller who decided that MTA and PUC would have work orders. Actually, I think in the beginning it was the airport and then it was uh, put upon by the 2 departments uh, to have work orders with the civil service commission. Keep in mind, these work orders also have to do with the continuous advising training that and the support that we do provide to these 2 departments. And I also want to add for uh, the services that are provided to us that we are charged for. Um, we, uh, the city attorney's office is huge in terms of both with the government and the labor, and they have been very supportive when we viewing policy, rule changes, things like that. Commissioner Leon, any additional questions? I'm just wondering why we don't recover money from other departments. I've only been here since September of last year. The volume of work coming from other departments outside of PUC and MTA uh, it's enormous. Um, I'm just wondering why PUC and MTA are the lucky ones and not public works or the port or another enterprise departments. You ask excellent question and it has been asked um, something that we haven't had to bring up for a while, but way back there was something called CalCap where uh, all departments were charged a certain percentage and that was how we were able to defend our budget. So departments like the city attorney's office, the controller's office, the civil service commission, and I believe department of human resources all included, actually every department depending on the number of employees are charged a certain percentage to determine our budget, but they're not called work orders, they're called CalCap. I'm blown away by the amount of work that you guys do and the budget that we see here. It's it's incredible what you guys do. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. I don't have a solution. I'll defer to my <laughs> other commissioners. You should help out. <laughs> Unfortunately, you asked the same questions I asked when I came to the Civil Service Commission. Okay. So. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Commissioner Leon, thank you. And thank you for the acknowledgement on behalf of our staff. Um, if no additional commissioner questions or comments, we will take a motion. I would, uh, move to the director of the commission. Number 1, thank you. And, uh, executive director, Sandra Ng, uh, you recounted the history. Absolutely exactly the way it was. <laughs> it's been a struggle. Anyway, okay. So, okay. Thank you. <laughs> The job well done. Okay, you've made your motion. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have a motion and a second to uh, direct our commission staff to prepare our fiscal year uh, twenty four twenty six budget. Uh, 
to continue to negotiate in order for the commission to maintain its charter and administrative code responsibilities um, and to submit um, a budget uh, before the deadline, which is February 21, 2024. If you have public comment on the motion before the commission, if you're in the room, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three. Yes, again, we're ready for your public comment. Again, my name is Ellen Lee Zhao, E-L-L-E-N-L-E-E-Z-H-O-U. As you talk about the budget, I'm very concerned about the public budget. I am a San Franciscan for the last 38 years. I live here, I work here, I eat here, I pay bills, I pay property tax. So my question to the people in here, if you have a budget and you budget it, every year hire 37,000 government employees, yet April 7, 2022 to April, December, eight months. 2023, last year, 12 months. 2024, two months already. So together, 22 months. What happened to the money that is budgeted for 37 government employees, 37,000 government employees, yet? You fire 1,168 government employees who do not agree with your bioweapon policy to accept the experimental vaccine. And also, right now, you have 3,000 vacay positions that you were budgeted 2022, 2023, and 2024 now. How are you going to explain it to the public? This is a public service. This is public money, which I paid for it, for sure of it. How are you going to explain all this money you budgeted for the public to hire people to work, yet you don't hire the people to work? Yet you continue to outsource to private companies. So the question is, if you owe resources one hour, $85 an hour to a nonprofit company, the people who work there only get $20 an hour or $22 an hour. Who profited the transaction in between? So my question to the directors in here and the commissions in here, the people who are in charge with budgeting, who are they? How much money they are pocketed under the table? Because we now learn this civil service commissioners, they're not for the public, you're not for the public. Because you have a policy that says you will not discriminate anyone according to their gender, race, and whatsoever, but you would discriminate unvaccinated people, don't you? Jacqueline Minor, my friend, president. You, these commissioners, continue to lie to the public, and you discriminated godly people who believe in the Bible. I pray in Jesus' mighty name, open your guys' heart to, to know what's going on. Because as long as you had a budget, but you refused to hire the unvaccinated people back who are qualified from the beginning, but you say and talk about budget, that's a big lie. That's a lie you need to learn and stop and do something about it. Thank you and God bless you. Uh, thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment? This is on the motion pending uh, related to the commission's budget for 24 through 26. 
Elizabeth, any public com comment on the telephone? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. Commissioner, is the roll call vote on the pending motion? Um, Vice President Favetti? Aye. Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved the motion directing the staff to prepare our fiscal year uh, 24 26 budget and uh, submitting that budget to the controller's office before the deadline, which is February 21, 2024. We are ready for the next agenda item. We are now on the ratification agenda. All matters on the ratification agenda are considered by the Civil Service Commission to be non contested and will be acted upon by a single vote of the commission. There will be no separate discussion on these items unless a request is made, in which event the matter shall be removed from the ratification agenda and considered as a separate item. Item 7, review of requests for approval of proposed personal services contracts, recommendation of the Human Resources Director, adopt the report, approve the request for proposed personal services contracts, notify the Office of the Controller and the Office of Contract Administration. Uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, please indicate if there are any uh, contracts you'd like pulled from the ratification agenda. Vice President Favetti. None. Commissioner Crawley. Uh, 41315-2324. Public health. Mm -hmm. Any additional contracts, Commissioner Crawley? Not at this time. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Uh, Commissioner Leon. Four three five two zero two three two four public works for eighteen million dollars. Is that the last one, Commissioner Leon? Uh, last one on page six. Okay. All right. Um, we are ready for a motion and a second to approve the ratification agenda minus the two pulled contracts. So moved. Second. We have a motion and a second to approve the ratification agenda. If you have public comment on the uh, ratification agenda, the approval is for the ratification agenda minus the two poll contracts. If you are in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. Steve Zeltzer, United Front Committee for a Labor Party. Uh, it seems to me that many of these things could be done by public workers. And why are you outsourcing to consultants and other private groups to do public work? Uh, it seems to be a trend here in the city and county of San Francisco. Instead of having public workers do it or hiring public workers that have the skills to do it, you're outsourcing it. Again, this is another cause of corruption in San Francisco. You're giving it to another private agency to profit off it, and it ends up costing the people of San Francisco more money. So we're opposed in principle to outsourcing this work that could be done by public workers or hiring public workers to do this work. It's a detriment to really the functioning of the city. Thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment? Elizabeth, any public comment on the, on the telephone? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Right. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote to approve the ratification agenda minus the two pulled contracts. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. 
Commissioner Leung. Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved the ratification agenda minus the two pulled contracts. The two pulled contracts are 41315 Public Health and 43520 Public Works. We will start with the Public Health contract. Uh, Commissioner Crawley, who is with us from uh, Public Health? Good afternoon, Commissioners. Rihanna Albert, PSC Coordinator for DPH. Hey, uh, Commissioner Crawley. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, Director Albert, I'm just curious as to how many staff persons on this particular application you intend on having and how many people does, how many folks does it service? So I do apologize that our department rep um, at the last minute was not able to attend. I believe that would be um, a question in the realm of uh, the program. Um, I can um, get that information um, from them and get that over to the commission. So are you telling me you cannot answer the question at this point in time based on what you're doing? Correct. I don't have that information at this time. So I would ask my colleagues if we could carry this over. Is this critical at this point in time? Is this a, can we hold this over to the next meeting, Executive Director, until my answer, until my questions are answered? It is possible. I'm not sure if the department has uh, any concerns or if there are any consequences. Uh, DPH, did you hear the question, which is given that the information is not available uh, in response to Commissioner Crawley's questions, uh, is there is this time sensitive? We would like to carry this over until our next meeting, which would be March 4th, um, to give you an opportunity to get the responses to his questions. So at this time, it's not time sensitive, so that would be okay if, if it is held over until March 4th. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Madam Chair, I would make that as a motion to carry over to our, our next meeting, which was March 4th, okay. 2024. We have a motion and a second to carry over 43135-2324 Public Health to the Commission's meeting of March 4th. If you have uh, public comment on this pending motion, if you're in the room, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. Steve Zeltzer, United Front Committee for a Labor Party. Uh, $72 million. $72 million is going to outsourced non-public workers for doing work that should be done in San Francisco. I. Also wonder where are the public worker unions here in San Francisco that represent the workers of the public, uh, Department of Public Health? They're in negotiation now and they're facing layoffs and cutbacks. And yet you're gonna spend $72 million, the city and county, to outsource this work, which we could be done by public workers. The work in this $72 million, providing hospitality, hospitality services in order to ensure that all services are rendered in a warm, welcoming environment that treat clients with compassion and respect and encourage future engagement. That work can be done by city workers. And the fact that the agency can't even provide the number of workers you're gonna employ in this $72 million appropriation is scandalous. 
You don't know how many workers you're going to be hiring with $72 million? You can't provide those figures? What is going on here? This is another example of a lack of oversight and the outsourcing and privatization of public work in San Francisco. This should be canceled. You should tell the department, hire public workers to do this work. Bring back the workers that have been fired. Instead, you're going to put it over. Well, we'll be back here on March the 4th, but I think the public worker unions should have something to say about this since they're in negotiation about their jobs and the conditions and services they provide. Where are the public worker unions on $72 million? Those are some questions that need to be addressed. Thank you. Here. Again, my name is Ellen, E-L-L-E-N-L-E-E-Z-H-O-U. I was a public employee, public health. My job title was behavioral health clinician, which I provide services for people who are anxious, who are depressed, who are suicidal, homicidal. Yet, this budget over here, it's suspicious. Steve was right. If we have more than 10,000 public health workers, you don't think that public health can do the job and you have to out resources to other people? If we have more than 40 locations, clinics and hospitals, you don't think that public health worker can do the job? My question to you, do some homework. Who are the people will be hired? How much management fee goes to the managers? What are the transactions in between? Remember, we have public news about former boyfriend of Lenten breed, Nulu, I believe, it was in the news, about people contracting, our resourcing, and they pocket stuff under the table. Now I am suspecting the same practice with this our resources, 70 million and more. If you continue to sit as commissioners, as executive directors like Sandra Ng, my friend, I call all people my friends, so don't get me wrong. The point is, if you're not, we hire all the unvaccinated people, 1,168 Christians and Catholics who are from different departments include public health, which is myself then you are the biggest liars of all sitting up there representing nothing but a lie. Because you had a policy that you do not discriminate anyone. But you would discriminate unvaccinated people who are healthy, who love you, who love the city, who stood up for you, telling you the politicians use this pandemic to threaten you. Look at all of you. You put it in you, add a, you put a mask on, the mask is not going to save you. But you yourself need to get out of fear and don't let the lie get to you. I work for public health. I work in a clinic. Anything more than 10 minutes of your mask, you drinking and you sucking your own germs. Those are all public information. I said that to you publicly to encourage you, wake up. Please do the right thing. Work with the city attorney, the biggest liar to city attorneys. We hire 
all the workers been wrongfully terminated just because they are unvaccinated, because we filed the lawsuit in the court and wasting money, the public money. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Any additional public comment? Uh, Elizabeth, any public comment? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Uh, this is the roll call vote on the pending motion to carry over uh, 41315 public health to the meeting of March 4. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have uh, voted to carry over 41315-2324 to our meeting of March 4th. Uh, public health, thank you for being here, and we will see you back with your colleague at our meeting on the 4th. Thank you, commissioners. Thank you. Uh, the second pulled contract is 43520 Public Works. Uh, Commissioner Leon, and who is with us from Public Works? Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Olivia Lee. I'm representing Public Works, and uh, we also have Don Sai from our contract admin office uh, representing Public Works. Uh, thank you, Commissioner. Thank you so much, uh, Olivia. Um, it appears to me that cost estimating is an ongoing need for the Department of Public Works as well as other city departments. Can you explain to me why we continue to uh, contract this work out? Um, this PSC request in particular is cost estimating services for uh, building design and construction. The building design and construction section of public works uh, doesn't have the expertise to uh, do cost estimates for building projects. Uh, they mainly do the design work and, and they engage with the clients. Um, so this is mainly for buildings and the construction of buildings. Can can you not hire someone with cost estimating um, experience through a special condition, or is it so specialized that uh, we don't have anybody in house who can do this work, or should do this um, work because we of whatever actually. Reason? Yeah, we actually had some people uh, who performed some minor work, uh, but they did not do uh, any major construction projects. And we mainly use them for construction projects. And these consultants uh, maintain a, a pretty um, heavy database. Uh, they keep track of the current market rates and the material costs. Uh, and it's pretty labor intensive to be uh, upkeeping with all the construction going on in the Bay Area. Um, so the. So it's not is it is that type of work specialized work or is it just labor intensive work? Uh, it, it is a very specialized uh, uh, and it also requires a lot of resources to uh, keep up with the ongoing trend because the material prices and the current market, um, you know, the rates and the prices, they go up and down, they fluctuate uh, quite heavily. Right, I, that I understand. Um, when was the last time you hired somebody in those classification listed in 3B uh, with a special condition of cost estimation? Um, there is no specialization in cost estimation. Um, most of those positions, uh, they usually do design work. 
right? So there's nothing really specialized in cost estimation. It's just a matter of finding the right personnel to work uh, in the city. Is that true? Or uh, somebody, somebody who was able to keep up with it. We did have a, a few people, uh, but they only do minor work. Um, something for like maintenance. Uh, would it be too much trouble for the department for the next opening for any of these classification listed in 3B, especially the positions in BDC uh, with the special condition of cost estimation? Have you tried that? I can take it back to the management and uh, I can um, ask, see if it is possible for them to advertise something. Um, because you have the ability to use special condition as a cost estimation to find the right personnel. I can take it back to the management. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, commissioners, any additional questions for public works? Vice President Favetti. It was actually a question to Commissioner Leon. Are you requesting that the department report back on I, the results? I, or? Yeah, I would like to, to, to hear back from them um, about the potential hiring this work in-house uh, with a special condition of cost estimation. Because as far as I know, cost estimation has been an ongoing issue, not just for Public Works Department, but for other city departments as well, as long as I've been dealing with the city. Uh, since 1994. So there's a need. The question is, how do we get that need in-house? And I think there's a thirst for having more uh, cost estimation personnel uh, to work in-house. With the understanding there are going to be peaks and valley where you're going to need uh, outside help uh, to get the estimators to do the work, whether it's in BDC, mm -hmm. the port, or the airport. And uh, a sense about uh, what time frame uh, for the report back, Commissioner? Uh, it depends on the department if if they can give us a report back. I know that they had a contract prior 2021. Mm -hmm. Is there any numbers on those? Do you have any data on those since uh, uh, the commission approved the, co this, the contract back in 2021? Uh, I can report back on the last PSC. Uh, mm -hmm. So the previous PSC number was uh, 48340-2021. Mm -hmm. And the PSC amount as modified was uh, 9 million. Right. That was for the duration uh, February 1st, 2021 through uh, June 30th, 2027. That's correct. We have uh, expended about $3.3 million on that one. I would appreciate getting uh, getting a report from the department uh, before uh, we move ahead with this uh, PSC. Uh, would you also? Can I? <laughs> yes, Vice President. Because we have a condition already that the uh, the department report back in year four. So if there is a delay and perhaps regular, even more frequent report backs on rather than just once every four years. So it's almost two things. You, you, it sounds like to me that you wanted to postpone it, but then for the future approval, that yeah. you may want to have. Okay, I could do that too. I would, uh, if the department doesn't have uh, an, a, an immediate need, and uh, I would appreciate uh, hearing a report back on March fourth. Yeah, 
Uh, Ms. Lee, is that okay? Um, the current contracts are going to be um, expiring soon. We will not be able to use them, so we would like to get something in place, uh, if that's possible. When does that contract expire? Uh, the we will not be able to use those contracts uh, starting next year, and it takes a while for us to advertise the RFQ and get consultants selected and have them in place, uh, have the contracts in place. So uh, we need at least a year lead time. Okay. What would you recommend? This department is suggesting one year lead. Okay, so annual reporting then? Yeah. Yeah, I can, I, I can live with that. Okay. Um, do you want to ask the department? Uh, would that be all right, Ms. Lee, in terms of annual reporting back the use of this as needed contract for cost estimation? I'd be happy to report back. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you. And with that concurrence from the department, I think we're ready for a motion and second. So I, I move to approve this contract with the proviso that the department provide an annual uh, report on the use of the as needed contract for cost estimation and also a report back on the previous use, the use of the previous contract for $9 million. I second that. So we have a motion and a second to approve 43520 subject to the conditions outlined by Commissioner Leon. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. Steve Zeltzer, United Front Committee for a Labor Party. I mean, I support that motion. Uh, $18 million and this agency, this department can't report how many people are gonna be involved in this. Uh, you had a, similar budget for 9 million, only 3.9 million has been spent. I think this is cause for concern about where this money is going. Uh, there are people in the IFPTE union that could do these jobs. People can be hired to do these, this work. Why, I think that's the question. Why are these departments outsourcing work that can be done by public workers? Public workers are quite capable of doing that. Why is it being outsourced? I think it is because because the policy of the city and county of San Francisco is for privatization. That's why it's being outsourced. So our view is it should not be outsourced. Public work should be done by public workers. And again, as I pointed out, the city is in negotiation with these public worker unions and saying there have to be cutbacks because of this budget crisis, and yet you're gonna vote on that they want, this department wants $18 million, I say hire public workers who can do that work, who are quite capable of doing that work. Any additional public comment? I wasn't gonna speak on this. My name is Kimberly Cox. I'm a former employee of SFDPW and working closely with the project managers at that time, I think this is just outrageous that you wanna spend 18 million to have consultants to do the work that we have capable workers of doing. I worked alongside these guys. They were project managers back in the day. So where is it that we can't um, recruit for these type of positions? I think it's outrageous and you're wasting money. 
and this is pure corruption. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your public comment. Yes, please. Thank you for your comment. Again, my name is Ellen, E-L-L-E-N-L-E-E-Z-H-O-U. I was a public employee, very happy serving the public until I was wrongfully terminated along with 1,168 Christians and Catholics who believe the Bible, who read God's word. I am here just as concerned as my other two friends in here, Steve and Kimberly. It is the same thing. Mayor Landon said that we have a downfall, crisis coming, telling people to cut three to 6% in each department. Yet, they have money to our resources. And my concern is the same concern I have. Who are the people getting the money and how much they pay under the table back to whoever give the check? You know how we learn? It's public information. It's FBI news. The people outsource, we learn, they get money back. It's called the fee, the fee fighter, or whatever the fee they are talking about. If you are commissioners in here, you continue to discriminate the unvaccinated, wrongfully terminated people, 1,168 Christians and Catholics. We have 11 lawsuits federally and five lawsuits statewide. And if you're not working with the city attorney in the human resources and labor department in the mayor's office, then you're all corrupted together. You are no different than a criminal because we are talking about fair, equity, justice for all. Let me pledge it to you again. I pledge the allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I'm talking about born and unborn people and vaccinated and vaccinated people. If you have a group of people fighting in court, getting the job back, able to do the work, and you don't care what happened, you will continue to discriminate. And you're talking about money to outsource. Do you get the picture? People, folks, please wake up. We are under a tyranny. We are under attack. It's called Agenda 2030. They want us to fight with each other. They want us not able to pay bill. They want more homeless on the street. Can you awake? We hire the people. Then things will be better. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment in the room? Elizabeth, any public comment um, on the telephone? Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. We are ready for the roll call vote on the pending motion, which is to uh, approve 43520-2324 public works subject to the two conditions proposed by Commissioner Leon. Uh, Vice President Favetti? Aye. Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Savison? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 43520-2324 with the two conditions. Thank you, uh, Department of Representatives. Thank you for being here and uh, providing additional responses to the commissioners. We are, you, commissioner. ready, we are ready for the next uh, agenda item, the consent agenda.
We are now on the consent agenda. All matters on the consent agenda considered by the Civil Service Commission will be acted upon by a single vote of the commission. There will be no separate discussion on these items unless the request is made, in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent agenda and considered as a separate item. I will recall out items 8, 9, and 10. Item 8, request for hearing by Deborah L. Aragon, General Laborer, 7514 Department of Public Works on their future employment restrictions. Recommendation, accept the report and approve the second request from the Department of Public Works to postpone this item to the meeting of March 4, 2024. Item 9, appeal by Peter Crichton of the Human Resources Director's determination to administratively close Crichton's complaint of harassment, retaliation, and denial of reasonable accommodation. Recommendation, postpone the hearing of the appeal to the Civil Service Commission meeting of July 1, 2024, at the request of the appellant. Item 10, request for a hearing by Ellen Mendelson on behalf of Stephen Wong, former Community Police Services A-9209, San Francisco Police Department on their future employment restrictions against all city departments. Recommendation, postpone this appeal to the Civil Service Commission meeting of March 4, 2024 at the request of the appellant's attorney. Okay, uh, commissioners, we're ready for a motion and second to um except to adopt the consent agenda, which in each case is a postponement. So moved. We have a motion and a second to uh, adopt the consent agenda, which will second. result. Thank you. <laughs> which will result in the postponement per the agenda of agenda items eight, nine, and 10. If you're in the room and you have public comment on this postponement, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote on the motion to accept the consent agenda postponements. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner uh, Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. We have adopted the consent agenda. We are now ready for the next agenda item. We are on the regular agenda, item 11, appeal by Chris Ray Rohan of the rejection of their application for the H-30 Captain Examination Administration. Recommendation from the Department of Human Resources, adopt the report of the Department of Human Resources and deny the appeal by Ray Rohan. Okay, um, executive officer, and maybe this is for our city attorney. We have um, four appeals, um, all from the fire department, all relating to the H-30 Campton exam. And I'm wondering if we can uh, call them together um, so that DHR can review the procedural history related to the exam one time. And then we take each um, for a separate uh, discussion and then vote. Uh, City Attorney. Uh, Madam Chair, mm -hmm. um, I think you can do that, but subject to a couple of suggested procedures. I think you should ask each of the four appellants whether they have any objection to that. Um, 
and then I would think you could then make a decision. If you do make a decision to go forward, the idea would be that there would be in effect a consolidated hearing on a, whatever the common questions uh, would be without prejudicing the individual appellant's right to uh, address both the common questions and anything particular to their circumstances. Um, okay. Um, are the appellants in the room or on the telephone? Appellants for 11, 12, 13, and 14 on the commission. I'm on the uh, webinar. Okay. Okay. Thank you for being here. Uh -huh. um, so that's, I see two. Do we have two more appellants? I'm Holly Dudier. Thank you for being here. Hey, boo -boo and okay. And yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Dockery and Lieutenant Bovo. President Minor, I do have a caller with the hand raised, so I don't know if that's the other appellate. Okay. Can you unmute, please, and check for us? Caller, can you please state your name? Yeah, this is uh, Dale Dockery. Okay, okay so he's uh, on the thank phone. you for being here. And what about uh, Lieutenant uh, Bovo? If the appellant is on the phone, you may press star three and that will signal our staff. President Minor, I don't see anyone else raising their hand at this time. Okay. Mr. Bovo did receive a WebEx invite, um, but I do not see him connected. Okay. And did we get a response from him? Hold on one second. President Minor, I don't see that he accepted the WebEx invitation. Okay, okay. We will move forward. Uh, his is the last appeal uh, in this group, and so it's possible that he's joining us later. So the initial question, um, my proposal was to have uh, the department, which would be Department of Human Resources, initially explain the process, the posting, and the process for the captain's exam. It's the same exam for all of you. And um, then that explanation will apply to all of the appeals. We will take up each of your appeals separately because all of your issues are quite distinct. And uh, our city attorney asked that I ask each appellant if that process is okay with you. 
Uh, I do believe it's okay if um, the representative from DHR does explain her case and also I believe that all three of our cases or all four of our cases are different so if we could speak that would be great. Okay. Thank you. You will you will be given an opportunity. Thank you Commissioner. Okay. Um, let's see who is on the line. Uh, appellant Ray Rohan. Um, yeah, I, I agree with what Holly said. Okay, very good. And we have one more. Oh, um, Lieutenant Dockery, are you okay with the procedure that I just outlined? Okay. Yes, good. I am. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And thank all the appellants. So now we are ready to have uh, Department of Human Resources tell us the procedure related to the posting, the timelines, no specifics yet related to any of the individual cases. Okay. Are you okay with that? I am. All right, thank you. Um, good afternoon, my name is Jen Lowe, Public Safety Team Manager. So the H30 captain job ad was posted from November 6th through November 20th, 2023. The minimum qualifications for the job ad stated that you must have permanent status and successful completion of your probationary period by final filing date. The probationary period as defined by local 798 MOU section 40.2 states the probationary period for members being promoted to a higher rank shall be six months of actual service from the date of appointment to that rank. Local 798 approved the job ad on November 1st and the San Francisco Fire Department issued a general order 23A103 on November 3rd, informing all members of the final filing dates or the file the filing dates for H30 captain. Okay, I th I think that that's what we needed, and that that's the information that will that's apply to all of the appeals. Okay, so the first appeal that we will take up is I'm sorry. Go ahead. That you want to ask the department before we start yeah, with the individual. Have... Okay, I'm sorry, uh, Vice President I'm Favetti. Sorry, and I apologize. I should have. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Vice President Favetti has questions. Because it would apply to a number of the appeals, I think that would be. And I just wanted to have some more context in the overall process. Some of its past information, and then just to, just to, for me to get a complete picture of what's happened in the past. The and what's going to be going forward. So, for the captain, the zero, the H uh, thirty. Uh, when did the last eligible list expire? Do you, did you repeat that? Oh, when did the last eligible list expire? Do you have that off your hand? It's not it hasn't expired yet. Okay, so the last that I mean that it's still active. We um, the first day of exam was today, and so that list will get posted. Oh, it is has it expired. Expired. It's expired. So it's expired. And so this is not going to be any overlap between the two eligible lists. Right. Okay. So for this current, how many applicants did you receive? I believe we received 120 applications. 120? All promotive. So it's an internal process. This is a closed promotive system. It's important to note that as far as fire and police uniform ranks. Okay. And the number of current vacancies? I would have to defer that to the fire department. Manager they were. Is that manager Bouchon? Yes, she was on earlier. 
Good afternoon, commissioners. I don't have the exact um, excuse me vacancies. Excuse me. Can you please state your name? Apologies, Isusa Bouchong, Human Resources Division, Fire Department. I do not have that information at this time, but I can um, double check with the individual who does position control mm -hmm. in our department um, shortly. Okay, do you have but I know that it is not double digit. It would be a single digit number. Hold on. Okay, that's what I needed to know. So okay. single digit number and the uh, pre the projected duration of the eligible list for the uh, H30 is standard. 24 months with 24. the extension up to another year. Right, and you're anticipating you're, you're currently on the same exam schedule that we've discussed over the years. Okay, so that's good. So now we're going to be um, looking at the 20, H20. Uh, and the last eligible list there was adopted, or the last, actually, what I really want to know is when is the last certification to the H20? The last administration of the H20? Mm -hmm. Within the past? We're scheduled to do it. They just extended the list. Mm -hmm. Oh, they extended the list. Mm -hmm. Okay, that figures out. Okay. So the next thing is I'd like to know generally the process for selecting acting assignments. And a review of what happened in 20, there's one of the appeals that it talks about 2016. If you could review, I think Mr. Johnson may have, um, and where there's been the question whether or not there's been some exceptions um, and how that actually applied. So those are the two questions and they apply and, and this is, it's sort of a stream that goes through, although not specifically noted, but it, I think, applies in many cases in this, the, the number of all the appeals. But what is that process for selecting the acting assignment? Because we have a number of individuals. Yeah, for the acting assignment, I would defer to Jesus Bichon. Okay. Manager. So, I'm so sorry. What was the question again? A number of actings? The process for selecting acting assignment. Is there an open recruitment? Is there a posting? Is there um, a new selection process? Or is it just somebody saying this person gets this assignment? For acting assignment, the chief of department um, usually uses the eligible list in rank order, unless okay. there is a specialty position, for example, background investigations captain. But if it's um, fire suppression field positions, then it would be according to the eligible list. Great, thank you. That's exactly what I needed to know. Um, and then the next, so that would be the previous eligible list that is in existence. That's correct. Okay. So, The question is, if there was an eligible list in existence, why acting assignment and not appointing to positions? Is it there were no vacancies or what is going on there? So it's a tricky budgetary um, question and I'm not necessarily the expert, but I believe there's a difference between actual headcount in the field as opposed to what's actually 
be funded in our budget. And so, for example, on a daily basis, we may have shortages due to long-term disability, long-term leave of other types, or um, acting assignment to a different um, division, like division of training. So that creates, in effect, headcount vacancies on a day-to-day -day basis, but not necessarily actual vacancies that would be funded in the budget that would be available for permanent hiring from an eligible list. And so that's why we have generally a good number of acting assignments, especially in fire suppression. Okay, so I wanted to clarify that. So there is so that me would mean that this would be where there is a need. There isn't a budgeted necessarily a budgeted position. And so therefore it's not going to the eligible list. Correct. Correct acting assignments are governed by the MOU. Although, if there's a current eligible list, then it would be the rank order of the eligible list that the chief uses to appoint to acting assignments. Okay, so if individuals who are currently on acting assignment or even in this particular group, they are likely on the previous list? Um, for the H30, a uh, list in particular, I think we got down almost to the last page of the list. The last page, how I many were in the last page? Um, like the lowest, the lower scores down to um, the 700s. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And then, um, although I probably was here in 20, I mean, I was here in 2016, I'd like from the perspective of the fire department and the Department of Human Resources, the there's been a site that there's been, this is that uh, the there's been made exceptions before with regard to getting onto a, an eligible list. And if I recall correctly, any exceptions we made had extraordinarily extraordinary circumstances that occurred for us to make any exception whatsoever. And if there's anybody here that um, would like to enlighten us, Good afternoon, commissioners. Dave Johnson, Assistant Director, Employment Services, Department of Human Resources. Uh, yes, this commission has made exceptions, and this commission is aware, I think, of the institutional memory of the fire department, and they remember forever, and we're seeing that here, and I don't blame them. They should remember forever. Uh, we, there's a couple particular things that were cited. One was in H-22 and H-24. That's Lieutenant in Fire Prevention, Lieutenant in Fire Investigation. And there had been a drought between promotional exams. And in that particular instance, the feeder class, classes were H6 and H4, fire prevention, fire investigator. There were insufficient permanent appointees in those classes to fill the vacancies in H22 and 24. And I think you're aware that the department spends money on exams. Uh, age 22-24 at that time was probably around $100,000. So what we were looking at was adopting a list and having it exhausted the very next day. 
So the commission made an exception and allowed acting H4 inspectors to compete in the exam and to be placed under waiver until such time as they were qualified in accordance with the terms of the announcement, then they could be considered for appointment at that time. There was another case for H50 assistant chief, and I don't recall for sure, but I believe it was very small numbers, again, of qualified candidates competing for the position. And I'm not, I don't recall the exact circumstance for the commission exception that time, but I, really, I do remember that it happened. If I recall correctly, there was one exception because that tied to the delays in testing and it went, it related back to the consent decree. And it, the fact that there had not been an exams, people had not been able to apply. And so it, it it's that. Yeah, that could be the case because H50 was, was, than that. Yeah. was one of those that was delayed forever because it was exactly, part of the consent exactly, decree. Exactly, because there was yeah. no ability at the time for anybody to promote. Yeah. So it was under extraordinary circumstances, if I recall correctly. Yes. Thank you very much. That's my questions. Okay. Um, no, Vice President Favetti, thank you. Uh, particularly the latter discussion. I think three of the four appellants uh, raised uh, questions about uh, prior incidents or exceptions were created. So I think we are now ready to move to the first appeal, which is uh, Lieutenant uh, Ray Ramon. Ray Rohan. Ray Ray. Okay. <laughs> Ray Rohan. All right. Madam, uh, Chair. Madam Chair. Yes. Could I just make a brief procedural point? Mm -hmm. uh, just for the benefit of the appellants, that the commission adopted this procedure because of the efficiency of dealing with you know common issues, um, but the individual appellants during their presentation. Uh, can address whatever they wish that is relevant, and it would include both these uh, uh, points that were of general applicability to all four, and it also could include anything particular to their individual cases. I just want to make sure that it's clear to appellants that their scope of addressing uh, their appeal is not in any way limited by the procedure you just adopted. Okay. Thank you. Um, for the benefit of all the appellants, uh, it's our practice to start with the department and then we will turn to the appellants. The appellants will have an opportunity to uh, uh, bring up or address any issue that you think is relevant to your appeal. And so we will ask the department to come back up. And this is uh, the specifics related to agenda item number 11. Okay. And you don't need to review again with us the posting and those timelines. Okay. So for Lieutenant Ray Rohan, he was appointed permanent on August 5th, 2023, and his projected probation completion date is March 17th, 2024. So according to the job ad, he did not pass probation by November 20th, 2023. And enforcing the terms of the job ad must be consistent for all fire department members. And it would not be appropriate for DHR to make an exception that would conflict with the terms specified in the job ad. Okay. Any additional comments at this point before we 
uh, turn to the appellant lieutenant. No further comment at this time. Okay. Uh, commissioners, any questions before we turn to the appellant? Commissioner Crawley. In general, how often and how often are H30 exams administered and how what's the attrition rate of current employees in the fire department at H30 rank? And when do you, I know it's a glass bowl, but when do you, how long does it take to exhaust this list in a typical year? So the first question, we can give the test every two years at minimum and every three years if the department chooses to extend the list to the third year in terms of attrition and that would be a question directed to the department. Okay. Anybody from the department? Jesus Bouchon, Fire Human Resources. Um, I don't have average attrition rates at every rank. It just really truly depends on individuals anywhere from 25 to 30 years of service. So I'm not able to answer that question. We could run an average and report back to you. Um, I can text my colleague right now and see if they can run a three-year average. Yeah, an average would be accurate. Thank you very much. No further question, Madam Chair. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Leon. So I just wanted to uh, make sure that I heard the right thing. Before the the job ad was posted, you guys had met with the uh, union local 798? Um, corresponded with them via email. I sent over the draft job ad on October 20th. Mm -hmm and they responded with approval to the job ad on November 1st. And the job ad included the two cri the specified criteria of permanent status and the successful completion of uh, probationary period in class H30. In H20, yes, In correct. H20, right, by the application final date. Yes, that's Did correct. you get any feedback from local 798 regarding these two specified criteria? No, they did not have any objection to those. Okay, and so they, by that extension, then you take that as a yes, right? That they're okay with that? Correct. Okay. Can you, dumb question, what is the intent of permanent status? Why do you need permanent status uh, to qualify for the H30 exam? What is the intent of that? Is there something magical about permanent status? I'm Dave Johnson, Assistant Director, Employment Services, Department of Human Resources. Uh, Commissioner Leung, I believe that the MOU specifies as the definition of probation. Meaning you have to have permanent status and then serve the six months as a permanent appointee. Got it. Thank you. No further question. Thank you, Director Johnson. Okay, so commissioners, any additional questions? We are ready now to move to the appellant, uh, Lieutenant Ray Rohan. You ready? Yes, ma'am. All right. Thank you. All right. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Chris Ray Rohan. I'm here to elaborate on my appeal for the H30 test with the San Francisco Fire Department. Um, 
you guys all have my appeal, so I'd like to direct you to um, page four in the conclusion, which the representative from DHR just read. Uh, Chris Ray Rohan did not pass probation in class 820 by November 20th. Enforcing the terms of the job that must be consistent for all fire department members. It would not be appropriate for DHR to make an exception that would conflict with the terms specified in the job ad. And as you guys previously stated, um, I'd like to direct you to page 17 of the four points that I have. Um, I'm aware that my application has been deemed not qualified, but I would like to bring to your attention several instances, sorry, where precedent has been set for reconsideration. The assistant chief exam, you guys uh, noted in 2016, two candidates were allowed to sit for the AC's exam based on their acting time, which is what I'm basing my argument on, in the rank of battalion chief. Bureau of Fire Prevention and Bureau of Fire Investigation candidates were permitted to take the exam based on the acting time at lower rank. Uh, he said something about a testing drought. That's, I, I can't control a testing drought. Um, another lieutenant exam candidates were allowed to take the exam based on three years of experience from an entirely different department. So it was five years total, two in San Francisco and three in another department. I've been a firefighter for 23 years. Well, a firefighter for 20 years and a lieutenant for the last three in a temporary and acting and then permanent basis. I go for my physical on February 15th. So that March 17th date that was stated earlier, I'm not sure if there's about a month discrepancy in that. Um, the uh, job description required six months of service as an H1 lieutenant before application. I have served as an active lieutenant since July 15th, uh, 2022, fulfilling the role every day, being paid, accruing time, and taking vacations at that rank. So I've had 86 watches as an active lieutenant, well over six months. Uh, during that time, I also had uh, 13 mandatory shifts. I know those don't count, but it counted to me and my family. Uh, so about a total of 131 watches as a lieutenant with uh, 20 mandatories at that rank. And since I've been hired at permanent status, they've hired 37 lieutenants after me. So obviously jobs were available for me to get mandoed and for them to hire people after me. So for some tricky budgeting, whatever that was said earlier by the by Jesus Basong, I can't control that. I scored in the top 25 on the list, and I was an actor for over a year. So at some point in there, there's that 54 watches was given to six months. So I know I wasn't on probation by the time the job classification came out, but they have made uh, concessions in the past. So I would like you guys, if, if at all possible, to uh, deem my application as qualified. And allow me to take the test. It's happening right now. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, commissioners, uh, questions for the appellant? Mm -hmm. 
Vice President Folletti. Uh, Lieutenant Ray Rohan, when you were acting as a uh, H-20, were you also on the eligible list at that time? Yeah, I was number uh, 25 with ties. So I think I was, if they would have used the correct font, I would have been the bottom of the first page. But because the font was bigger, I was top of the second page. <laughs> <laughs> it's important details. Yes, ma'am. Very important. Um, I wanted to say there was a question with regard to why this is a comment. If mm -hmm. other questions. Um, the question with regard to why is permanent status required in the next lower rank? Um, the rules that applying to the uh, promotional of the firefighters are because it is they're rather stringent. And as I've mentioned in a number of occasions, they were a very long process with regard to negotiations. Having permanent in the next lower rank was a particular sticking point for the employee organization, Local 798. It was very important to them that the individuals be permanent civil service in the next lower rank. Um, and that is why it is in the rules. Um, just to, for information and background. Um, as I say, there were very long, hard fought rules, no negotiation on those rules following the consent decree. Uh, commissioners, uh, questions or comments? Commissioner Salveson. I just have a comment um, because the exam notice uh, mentioned that the probationary period needs to be completed. Um, and I just want to note that. Uh, in the rules 31721 states that the probationary period is defined as the final and most important phase of the selection process and is to be used for evaluating the performance of an employee in the position to which appointed so it's considered in our rules as the final and most important part of the selection process okay and it, can, and it only happens after a permanent appointment. Right. Uh, commissioners, any additional questions or comments to for either either the department or the appellate? Commissioner Crawley. Uh, Madam Chair, this goes to the department. I'm sorry I didn't ask this question prior, but when was that memo agreed to by 798 and DHR? What's the date on that? Of his approval? Yes. November 1st. November 1st of? 2023. Thank you. No further questions, I'm sure. Okay, good. Uh, commissioners, if there are no further questions or comments, we'll move to a motion if you are ready. Um, Vice President Favetti. And just to verify that I, I understood correctly, and there were no appeals on the announcement after it was issued. Correct. We did not receive any appeals about the job ad. Uh, Commissioner Leon. Um, so the appellant claims that uh, he started serving as an acting lieutenant since July 15th of 2022. 
and then there's some reference about him making uh, the appellant making permanent civil service appointment not until July 28th of 2023. Can you help me explain that process and how and I'm not sure if I'm asking the right question. Why it took this long, or what is the process for making permanent civil service appointment when a person has been claiming, at, at least he claims that he's been working uh, out of class as so an the, acting lieutenant since July 15th of 2022. So I don't know the, if that makes the sense. department handles acting assignments and then permanent appointments. The date that we have in people on pay, he was appointed permanent on August 5th, 2023. August 5th. Hmm. But acting before that, that's the, yeah. That's my sticking point. That's my question. I was acting for a year, right? So because of budging issues or whatever circumstances beyond my control, I didn't get permanent status until a year later. So, so were there circumstances between July fifteenth of twenty twenty two and August fifth of twenty twenty three that prevented? Uh, this lieutenant from getting permanent uh, status? That would be a question for the fire department. Okay. Commissioner Jesus Sabuchon, Fire Department Human Resources. Um, going back to the acting assignment process I described earlier. <laughs> um, so acting assignments don't mean that there are actual budgeted vacancies. Um, in the annual salary ordinance, it means that there are headcount um, vacancies on a day-to-day -day basis in the field, and that headcount vacancy could come from many different circumstances. For example, long-term disability, long-term FMLA or other leave type. Um, acting assignment at um, the division of training or other administrative um, type positions, those, all of those would create um, field vacancies at any rank, whether it's H20, H30, and so forth. So uh, getting an acting assignment in a particular rank doesn't mean it's a guaranteed precursor to a permanent appointment later on. So it doesn't necessarily mean, or it doesn't mean that there was a particular circumstance that caused um, the gap for each individual appellant between an acting assignment and a permanent appointment um, in the rank of H20 in this case. No, I may, Go may ahead. I also respond to um, the two earlier questions um, by the two other commissioners in terms of current vacancies? Budgetarily, it's actually zero at this moment in time as of today. And then um, the average retirement rate in the last three years, there's been an average of six captain retirees. Oh, then. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, appreciate the follow up from your colleagues in the department and Vice President Favetti. And just to confirm, there were a hundred and 
20 qualified applicants in this applicant pool? I think the exact numbers in the report, but that sounds yeah. about right. But I, yeah. I wrote down 120. Right, but I just want to make sure that they were, these are the apps. I want to make sure to reinforce it for the record. There are 120 qualified applicants. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I, I see he's a later uh, appellant. So if he's got public comment, we'll get it then. Okay, so commissioners, are you ready for uh, a motion on agenda item number 11? Okay, with heavy heart. Mm -hmm. um, based on all that we have been presented, uh, there was an opportunity to appeal the examination announcement. There's a very, very clear item within the rules and the negotiation, past negotiations. And yes, indeed, Commissioner Salveson's point that the probationary period is the final and most important phase of the selection process. Acting assignments aren't necessarily, as was pointed out to me, and although there is sometimes when the person does fulfill the full range of duties, it's kind of, it's an ad needed. With that, I would have to vote. I would have to move to deny the appeal and, and to uphold the decision of the human resources director. Second. Okay, commissioners, we have a motion and a second to adopt the report uh, with the consequence of denying the appeal. Uh, and this is agenda item number 11 only. Uh, if you are in the room and you have public comment on the motion, uh, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star. Three now. Um, President Minor, we do have someone um, that wants to make public comment. Yes, we can see his hand raised. Yeah, so I think if he can unmute himself. Okay, there you go. My name is Malay Maloa. I'm actually just listening to this one. And when you sign up for the acting assignment, don't you sign up to do 100% of the duties at the higher level? Am I correct? I, I don't understand why he wouldn't be given that, uh, I guess, the acting assignment as part of his work history if he's assigned to do the 100% of the duties in an acting assignment that was just the statement that i have just from listening to all of this going around i i don't understand if you're signing up to do 100% of the duties at lesser pay why are you not getting the the experience from it and why can't you use that experience Okay, so thank you for your public comment. Um, do we have any additional public comment on the motion, which is to accept the report or adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, uh, commissioners, the roll call vote on the motion. 
uh, the roll the roll call vote on the motion. Um, Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. Uh, we have unanimously adopted the report, thereby denying the appeal of Lieutenant Ray Rohan. Uh, Lieutenant, thank you for being here. Um, Department, thank you for your presentation. Thank you. Uh, we are ready to move to agenda item 12. I will call out the item. Item 12, appeal by Holly Dudier of the rejection of their application for the H-30 Captain Examination Administration, recommendation from the Department of Human Resources, adopt the report of the Department of Human Resources and deny the appeal by Dudier. Um Department, we are ready for any information that's unique to this appeal, and then we will hear from hear from the lieutenant. Okay, um, Jen Lowe, Public Safety Team Manager. Um, just the dates for Lieutenant Dudier appointed permanent on August fifth, twenty twenty three, with a projected probation date completion March fourth, twenty twenty four. And that's all I have to add. Okay. Uh, commissioners, any questions or comments before we move to the lieutenant? Okay. Lieutenant. I have a quick reference guide if you would like a copy. Sorry to the We've emailed it to them. Fair enough. Good afternoon, commissioners. I am Lieutenant Holly Dudier, spelled H-O-L-L-Y-D-O-U-D-I-E-T. I have now been a member with the San Francisco Fire Department for over 10 years, and I'm also a San Francisco native and still reside here. I filed an appeal and I'm standing here today because my application to participate in the SFFD H30 Captain Promotional Examination was rejected by the Department of Human Resources, and I do believe there is a mistake and that I actually do meet the requirements. I passed the SFFD Lieutenant's Promotional Exam approximately two years ago, and based on my position on the promotional list, I had been first a temporary, then an acting lieutenant in charge of either an engine or truck company working 24-hour shifts for over 12 months, when in early April last year, I received a telephone call from the battalion chief in charge of the communications center. He stated to me that he had canvassed all 13 acting lieutenants ahead of me on the promotional list, offering each the opportunity for an immediate permanent appointment to the rank of lieutenant in an exchange for accepting a voluntary assignment working nights at the communications center, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., for a period of 18 months. All 13 of those ahead of me had declined. I accepted the assignment. After training, I began working my 12-hour night shifts at the communication center on May 15, 2023. Unfortunately, I was not given my formal promotion to lieutenant as had been promised. 
In fact, on May 19th, four days later, three other acting lieutenants were subsequently given permanent appointment ahead of me, appointments ahead of me. When I asked through the SFFD chain of command why my immediate promotion did not take place as promised, I was told per deputy chief that it was, quote, an oversight and that I would receive the next available promotion in three weeks. The deputy chief retired shortly thereafter. In fact, my promotion did not take place in three weeks, but only after a period of 12 weeks on August 5th. I subsequently sent a general form letter to the chief of the department through the chain of command detailing what the original agreement had been and pointing out that my immediate promotion should have taken place on May 15th, the day I began my assignment at the communications center. The letter was forwarded through my supervising battalion chief to both deputy chiefs and all three agreed, approved, and verified in writing that my actual date of appointment to lieutenant should be adjusted to coincide with the date I began my assignment at the communications center. On orders of the deputy chiefs, the SFFD assignment office adjusted my official date of, of appointment to May 15, 2023. When I asked the SFFD Human Resources Director why the City Department of Human Resources had not changed my appointment to May 15th, DHR records still say August 5th, I was told that the SFFD has no control over what DHR does. When DHR subsequently announced the period for filing applications for the currently pending captain's exam open to any lieutenant who had completed their six-month probationary period, the announcement stated that eligible candidates had until November 20th to file applications to take the exam. Reflecting my official SFFD date of appointment to lieutenant as May 15th, on November 16th, six months and one day later, I filed my application to take the captain's exam, which is being administered this very day. DHR rejected my application based on the mistaken belief that my date of appointment to lieutenant was August 5th and that I therefore hadn't as of November 20th, completed my six months probationary period as a lieutenant. I am therefore appealing the decision of DHR to the Civil Service Commission based on the fact that, according to official SFFD records, I did actually complete the requisite six month probationary period as a lieutenant by the time I filed my application to take the H-30 captain's exam. I respectfully request that the commission reverse the decision of DHR which has prevented me from participating in said exam. Inasmuch as the H-30 captain's exam is actually being administered on this very day, thereby precluding my participation, I further respectfully request that I be given the opportunity to compete and participate in a makeup exam before any results of the present exam are published, and in all fairness, be given the same preparation materials and preparation timeframe as, as all other candidates. Relevant documentation can be found in the Civil Service Report Transmittal provided pages 29 through 32, which are copies of the official SFFD documents substantiating my actual date of appointment to Lieutenant as May 15th, 2023, verified in writing by my supervising battalion chief and both deputy chiefs. Thank you for your consideration. Uh, thank you, Lieutenant. Okay, commissioners. Questions, comments? Commissioner Salveson. Um, <clears throat> thank you for your uh, opening. With respect to the mistake that was made by the department, do you know anything about what the mistake was, whether they didn't know how many openings they had or 
whether they appointed somebody they shouldn't have, or do you, do you have a sense of any more information about the mistake? Um, well, in my personal opinion, uh, the deputy chief was about to retire and he saw three people on the list that he liked better maybe than me and decided to appoint them, then retired and said, she can get her job whenever she wants, even though he promised that he would give me a job in April for taking the position at the communication center. Okay, and um, just to be clear, I guess at this point you haven't completed probation, is that correct? Or Probationary period is a standard six months as uh, in the position of a permanent rank. I have been in the permanent rank for, for over six months and completed six months in the permanent rank before the end of the filing period, according to uh, San Francisco Fire Department records. Okay. So Thank you. six I, months. I understand. It's okay. So that the DHR hasn't adopted that, but the fire department has adopted that. Correct. Is that correct? Okay. Thank you. Vice President Favetti, did you have a question? No? Uh, commissioners, any additional questions or comments? Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Well, I do have um, a question for um, Manager Bouchong. <laughs> uh, whether she has any information about what the mistake was, whether there was a mistake about how many openings there were available, or whether uh, people that were appointed were not supposed to be appointed. Do you have any further information on that? Commissioner Salveson, I do not have information about um, the sequence of events that Lieutenant Dudier described. Um, she did mention about three others being appointed. And from my recollection, those were next three in rank order um, for appointment to a field position. And so when we were, HR was advised that we had one more um, position available. That's when we submitted the requisition. And we have, um, I have the email that I sent to Lieutenant Dudier about the chronology. Um, that we submitted the position in July and that July 10th and then her permanent um, civil service promotion announcement was issued on July 28th. And from that, we requested a certification or referral from DHR, which was dated August 3rd. At the same time, um, Lieutenant Dudier passed the promotional exam for the permanent appointment on August 3rd as well. And then shortly after, um, we appointed her on August 5th, what's in People Pay, the employee portal, as her official PCS appointment date. And from your perspective, has she completed probation? in the department? No, she has not. It would be based on, so my perspective would be 
the official Department of Human Resources and governed by civil service rules that it would be the date of PCS appointment and it would be six months from there and any time off would extend um, that period. And that's why we have um, later projected March 4th, 2024 completion date based on time off that she's taken since August 5th. Okay, thank you. I do have a, a copy of the general form from the deputy chiefs approving that my appointment date be May 15th. Mm -hmm. And it's in, included in the documents as well. Uh, thank you. Yes, I I did receive it in the in the packet that I received. I have a question for the department. Um, are you familiar with any uh, similar situation uh, in the past where you have the department acknowledging? Um, a planned action that did not happen and requesting at least with respect to fire department records that there be an internal correction of 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 a date that then did not let, yeah let me just stop stop there did I you don't recall and sorry no no please please respond I don't recall any other similar situation in the past. And, and I believe you responded to Commissioner uh, Salveson, your, your belief that uh, this Lieutenant has not um, completed probation. That's correct, based on the PCS appointment date and the time off in her work history. Okay. Um, our Commissioner Crawley has a question or a comment. Just through the chair, madam, uh, I, it was just the time off. And, and do you not, or did it not catch up that May 15th was submitted by the department as a litmus test to make sure that it was appropriate that that was indeed the date of uh, of her assignment going forward, and that would constitute further uh, a point that she would have the six months in. Where is that paper? I guess that's where my question is. So the. Do you need me to ask that question again? Is is her mic on? Please. I'm sorry. Can can you hear me now? Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. So I believe that May fifteenth um, internal adjustment was when she was assigned to the communication center, but that was an acting assignment in terms of access records.
again, I think there's a general misunderstanding of of, of the date here uh, of that was an acting assignment or the reference from the paperwork we received as a, an assignment. So going back again to my chronology, we submitted, Fire Human Resources submitted the requisition in July, on July 10th, 2023. And then her promotion announcement to permanent was announced on July 28th, 2023. And then in order to appoint to a permanent position, we start with a DHR certification or referral and that was dated august 3rd 2023 and at the same time that was also the date of her promotional medical which is a requirement before one can be considered um a permanent appointee for a particular rank so back in may of 2023 there was no promotional exam there was no referral or certification there was no requisition for a permanent position and so that could not have been a permanent appointment dhr and civil service rule um, standards and policies um if if I could could just get further clarification. So as I understand it, there were three acting lieutenants who were promoted on May 19th, according to the appellant. Is that correct? Um, I would have to check my emails and do a search. I mean, they always come out as a department-wide email announcement. Uh-huh. So I am, I'm sure that that's correct. But then, like I mentioned earlier, it would have been the three next in four order um, because they were field assignments or field permanent appointments. But I can try to search right now. I have a question for uh, Hazusa, oh. if if I may. Okay, okay. hold I'll hold, okay. hold on a second. Um, yeah, it, as I understand it, the 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 lieutenant expected to be one of the three was promised if she accepted the position at CECC that she would be one of the three, and that was the initial breakdown which occurred on May 19th. May I am not aware of um, any communications related to that. Okay, so you're not aware that of this, um, was it Canon or Postal, who um, asked her to accept the position at CECC, and if she did, she would be uh, promoted to lieutenant? That's correct. I was not aware of that conversation. Okay. So it's, it's, it's certainly in the packet that the commissioners have received. Um, if someone else had a question or comment, uh, Vice President Favetti. 
Um, I just wanted to say that there's this, there's a difference between a chief or assistant chief saying this and when it actually happens. Mm -hmm. And this may be a very unusual occurrence. In fact, it's an unusual occurrence, perhaps in the fire department, but it does happen in the city mm. where managers in there would like to say, okay, this is what we want to offer you. Um, but unless it is followed up by a certification, it's, it's not, it's not official. It's not, it's just an acting assignment. And oftentimes people mix up acting assignments with a permanent appointment mm -hmm. and it's just not the same. So it's, uh, I, 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 I really, I really feel on this one because it's, it is unfortunate, but I, I think that, and, and then the other point is that the individual, three individuals that were appointed were, as I understand it from manager Bouchong, that they were in, appointed in rank order on the list from the list. Which may I comment please? Sorry. Uh, and so. Um, we've had this kind of issue before it usually in, in, in many different circumstances, and it often comes up when it is a question of seniority and how is seniority determined. But in fact, it's the, I just wanted to point it out that this, the, and the commission from my understanding in these rules is not authorized to reach in and change an appointing officers. I mean, when it wasn't the appointing officer, an employee, a supervisorial or managerial employee's quote unquote promise and change it, uh, that is just not the, the real, it, it's just not something that this commission is authorized to do. Mm -hmm. In fact, that whole process has to come from the chief and the chief then executes it through an requisition that goes to a certification and a referral. And it's a very strict rule. I am actually above them on the uh, seniority list, on the H20 seniority list. Okay, it's good information to know, but it doesn't change anything in my perspective. And that is where I'm, I'm really unfortunate. But I am, but unfortunately, unless there are other questions or other comments that need to be addressed, I'm ready to make a motion. May I comment, please? Yes, you may. Uh, so in April, when I was offered this position, 13 people were offered this position who are actors above me because it is not a desirable job. They all refused and I finally accepted with the exchange that I would be the next permanent lieutenant. And so when these three people were promoted, when they told me I was going to get promoted instead, Obviously, I was very upset and they said, okay, you'll get the next promotion in three weeks, but your seniority will still be above those three. But if you can just wait three weeks, and then it wasn't three weeks. And um, I, Hazusa can verify this, but it has been known where lieutenants or captains skip the list in situations like this. Um, one example being the, uh, I believe it's the captain who drug tests, who gets the job for drug testing. They offer the same option to them and they get to skip and become permanents above the actors in between. 
Hazusa, can you verify that? So that is correct in terms of a practice that's happened for the background investigations, Captain. But then it's followed by an official announcement of a permanent offer. And then it and then that announcement from the chief triggers the whole thing of requisition, certification, um, the actual offer letter with the promotional medical exam requirement, and then all the way to the passing of that medical in the appointment. So in this case, we did not receive anything in May of 2023 to affect um, what was supposedly said at this conversation. Okay, um, Commissioner Liam. I just feel bad for the appellant, but I think the department did the right thing in terms of following the process. I think whoever promised the appellant the promotion, I mean, if true, should really be counsel and spoken to about the uh, official process of appointing someone to a permanent status. And now she's in, the, the appellant is in this situation. Um, it's so unfair, but uh, but I agree with uh, Vice President Favetti's uh, comment with regard to the difference between acting assignment and also uh, permanent status promotion. I'm ready to move. Unfortunately, um, let's see. Let's see if we have any further questions or comments. I have a comment. Uh, hold on. Um, Lieutenant, I'll call you when um, I'm ready to take public comment. Yes, um, okay, so there seems to be no additional comments from commissioners. We're ready for a motion. Regretfully, I move to adopt the report of the Department of Human Resources, uphold that decision, and deny the appeal of the appellant. Is there a second? Second. We have a motion and a second to adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal. Uh, if you are in the room and you have public comment, uh, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. Um, Lieutenant Rohan, we're ready for your public comment. Yeah, I mean, I was offered the same thing that Holly was. Um, and I was one of the people that denied it. So she actually got appointed on July 28th, the same as me. But that's that's common practice where people do that. And going to get to radio is not a desired position. It's hard to fill. And the same with the uh, ISB captain as well. So she took that job being yeah. promised something that was not given to her. So if that's common practice, it's a stop. And if someone needs to be canceled, they need to be canceled. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, we're ready for your public comment. Please tell us your name. My name is Thomas Dudier. I'm a retired assistant deputy chief in the San Francisco Fire Department. I was a high school teacher for seven years before I went in the fire department and completed 32 years of service. So I'm a 39-year public servant. I am very familiar with promotional processes in the fire department, as you can imagine. I went from firefighter to lieutenant all the way up to the rank of assistant deputy chief. 
I think the fundamental question here is one of fairness, as I'm sure you would all agree. Uh, the difficulty here, the question that really has to be decided is, has Lieutenant Dudier served in the position of Lieutenant for the requisite period of six months prior to the, cl the closing of the filing date? She has been performing as a Lieutenant, not only for as a temporary and as an acting Lieutenant before she went to the Communications Center, but as a Communications Center, she's been primarily responsible working 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., three nights on and three nights off. Every morning she goes home after work, she has to sleep for six or seven hours. She's responsible for supervising greater alarms and all other medical emergencies citywide. To say that she has not qualified in terms of performing the duties of a permanent lieutenant when the fire department says she became a permanent lieutenant on, on May 15th, is begging the question of what is Department of Human Resources trying to accomplish in giving a promotional exam? What is the harm, I ask you, in letting one more candidate who is well qualified, who has worked diligently and who has accepted an assignment that nobody ahead of her on the promotional list wanted, as you just heard from the other candidate, letting this person take the promotional exam. Who is damaged by letting her take the promotional exam? She has completed her six months in a permanent position. Now, whether the paperwork didn't catch up to the promise that the deputy chief of the fire department, who has since retired, made to her is an entirely different question. This is a question of fairness. This is a question of promoting, giving people the promotional opportunity, the people who are dedicated and willing to step up and take an assignment that nobody else wants. Once it becomes known in the fire department that the word of the administration, i.e. I will give you a permanent appointment to the rank of lieutenant if you take this lousy assignment, once the, it becomes known in the fire department that the word of the administration is can't be trusted and that Department of Human Resources will not back you up and do the right thing, then they're going to have a very difficult time finding people to fill those assignments in the fire department. Thank you. Uh, thank you. We appreciate your service and thank you for being here. Any additional public comment? President Moner, no public comment at this time. Okay. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote on the pending motion. This is agenda item number 12. The motion is to adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal. Uh, Vice President Favetti? Aye. Commissioner Crawley? No. Commissioner Savison? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote no. Um, by a vote of three to two, we have adopted the report, thereby denying the appeal. Okay. We are ready for the next agenda item, which is 
number 13, uh, Lieutenant Dockery. Item 13, appeal by Dale H. Dockery of the rejection of their application for the H-30 Captain Examination Administration. Recommendation from the Department of Human Resources, adopt the report of the Department of Human Resources and deny the appeal by Dockery. Okay. Um, President Minor, um, if uh, Appellant Dockery is still on the line, please press star three for some reason. Um, I don't know if he got disconnected. Okay, there we go. Okay. So he's still present. Okay, and he's audio only? Yes, he's audio only. Okay, very good. Uh, Lieutenant Dockery, can you say something so that we'll know you're there? Yes, my name is Dale Dockery. Okay, thank you. Thank you for being here. So we will uh, proceed with the department and then we will hear from you. We're ready, Manager Lowe. Um, Jen Lowe, Public Safety Team Manager. Lieutenant Dockery was appointed permit on September 3rd, 2023, with a projected probation completion date of March 25th, 2024. Let me see if there's anything. Any questions before we turn to Lieutenant, the appellant Lieutenant? Okay, Lieutenant Dockery, we are ready for you to cover with us um, the aspects of your appeal that you think are relevant. Yes, uh, good afternoon, President Minor and Commissioners. Uh, my name is Dale Dockery. Um, on July 29, 2022, I was given the acting Lieutenant H-20 position. Uh, that's represented in my uh, submitted paperwork, page nine. On April 17, 2023, after an interview process, I was given and started working in the capacity of an H-28 training Lieutenant, which is a higher classification than H-20. And this is also represented in my paperwork on page one of my submission. As of now, I have nine months uh, as an acting H-20 lieutenant and 10 months as an H-28 training lieutenant, 19 months total in the same or higher capacity of an H-20 lieutenant. Uh, these duties require the same responsibility, supervision, and management as the permanent H-20 lieutenant. In fact, as an H-28 training uh, lieutenant, I have trained other members, including permanent H-20 lieutenants and H-30 captains. Um, my belief is my time as an acting H-20 lieutenant as an H and as an H-28 training lieutenant meets the intended goal of a six-month probation time. I believe at minimum I should have been placed on probation as an H-20 when I started working in the capacity as an H-28 lieutenant started on April 17, 2023. Um, I, so I respectfully request the opportunity to take a make exam before the results are published. Uh, same as the colleague has stated, be given the same uh, material and preparation time as the other applicants have. I thank you for your consideration and time. I know it's getting late, um, but I'm willing to answer any questions that you have. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, questions for either the department or the appellant?
Nope. No questions? Okay, it looks like we are ready for a motion. Uh, yes, I will move to um, adopt the report of human resources and uh, to deny the appeal of appellant Dockery. Hey. So we have a motion and a second to adopt the report with the consequence of denying the appeal of Lieutenant Dockery. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. Um, commissioners, the roll call vote on the pending motion, which is to adopt the report, uh, thereby denying the appeal of Lieutenant Dockery. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have adopted the report uh, denying the appeal of Lieutenant Dockery. Lieutenant Dockery, thank you for being here and hanging in there with us on audio only. And um, the department, thank you. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you. Let's see if we um, did we did Lieutenant uh, Bovo join the call. Not that I'm aware of President Minor. Um, if Lieutenant Bovo is on the line, please press star three. No one is raising their hand, President Minor. Okay, and, and you indicated he had not accepted the uh, invite to join the meeting? No, he did not. Okay. Uh, commissioners, we've got a file in front of you. How would you like to proceed? Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Um, I've thoroughly read the appeal documents. I don't think this um, appellant situation is uh, different from prior um, Appellants, and so I would move to adopt the report and deny the appeal by Lieutenant Bovo. Second. Um, we have, based on having reviewed the entire file and record um, before the commission, we have a motion to adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal of Lieutenant Bovo. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote on agenda item number 14, which is to adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have adopted the report, thereby denying the appeal. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for to the appellants for bringing these issues forward. And we appreciate the work of the fire department and DHR in responding to our various questions. Thank you, Manager. Possible to take a quick break? Uh, Yes. Okay. Um, let's, Executive Officer, we'd like to take a five minute break.
Okay, the time is now 4.33 p.m. and we're taking a break. Are we back from break? President Minor, the recording is back on. It is 4.42 p.m. Thank you. Uh, we have a technical glitch. Uh, give us a few minutes and a few seconds and we're ready to resume. Okay. Okay, we're okay. Okay, we're good. All right. Executive officer, we're we're ready to resume. Okay, and the time is 4.43. We are on uh, item 15, appeal of rejection of application by Mong M.G. for 7253 Electrical Transit Mechanics Supervisor 1, recommendation of the Municipal Transportation Agency, adopt the report and deny the appeal by G. Thank you. Is Appellant G with us? Oh, good. Thank you for being here. Uh, we will start with the department and then hear from the appellant, uh, MTA. Good afternoon, commissioners. I just want to confirm, is G how you pronounce your last name? Okay, thank you. Um, my name is Shivani Nath. Um, last name is spelled N-A-T-H, and I am the Examinations and Classification Manager at the Municipal's Transportation Agency. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background on the position and um, the reasons why we rejected um, this uh, particular applicant. The, SFM, the SFMTA posted a job advertisement for the Electrical Transit Mechanics Supervisor, Class Code 7253, on September 27th, 2023 and closed the job ad on October 11th, 2023. The minimum qualifications for this position require three years of verifiable full-time experience supervising the electrical and mechanical maintenance and repair of mass transit equipment and vehicles and possession of a valid Class C driver's license, um, which would have had to been possessed by the time of appointment. There were no appeals received um, regarding the minimum qualifications on the announcement, and Moong Ji applied for this recruitment on October 9th, 2023. Ji um, is currently employed by us and is appointed to Class Code 7371 as an electronic, as in, pardon me, electrical transit mechanics, electrical transit system mechanic. G was not credited for possessing any of the three years of supervisory experience under the minimum qualifications for three reasons. Um, number one, G's current appointment is to class code 7371, which is not a supervisory class. Number two, um, no additional information by way of contemporaneous documentation or acting assignments were found in G's um, personnel files. And number three, in G's role as a foreman supervisor at SF Repair Center, there is just not enough information to understand the type of work that he supervised, specifically whether electrical and mechanical maintenance and repair was performed on mass transit vehicles and equipment and the scope and the frequency of the work. G participated in the interactive process with our exams analyst and submitted a letter of verification from SF Auto Repair Center. Many statements made in the verification letter 
focused on smog checks and associated repairs to pass smog checks. It should be noted that according to DMV, smog checks were not required for electrical electric vehicles, and thus those service needed to be at least partially gasoline powered. There was no additional information on the supervisory responsibilities that helped further confirm that G was performing tasks aligned with the general supervisory work. However, as mentioned above, there is not enough information to support that they were supervising the work of staff who performed electrical and mechanical maintenance and repair of mass transit equipment and vehicles. G, G in their appeal refers to hybrid vehicles. Hybrid vehicles are free moving vehicles and are not connected to electrical overhead lines or rails. Thus, mechanics who only work on hybrid mass transit vehicles do not have the same scope of electrical repair res responsibilities as workers in the electrical transit mechanics series do. Since the filing of MTA's response, G has provided a document with additional information that was shared with us on January 31st, 2024. In the document, G raises five main points, which I'm gonna speak on. The first one was, is that they were involved in lead work during the 18 years that they have been an electrical transit mechanic. Unfortunately, lead work is not synonymous with supervisory work and credits cannot be given towards the supervisory experience that he currently lacks. Number two, uh, 7253 classifications do not require the same scope of electrical repair responsibilities as workers in the electrical transit mechanics series. Um, it is correct, provided that 7253s have more supervisory responsibilities, being the second supervisory level. This is also consistent with why supervisory experience, in addition to the relevant technical experience, over staff performing the work is minimally required. Number three, there is nothing about overhead lines or tracks in how to in the how to qualify section of the 7253 test announcement. While overhead lines may not be spelled out under the minimal qualifications, it falls under the umbrella of mass transit vehicles and candidates need to be highly skilled in how to repair the systems that converts the 600 volts AC to direct current DC found in rails and electrified trolley lines. <clears throat> Number four, SFMTA uses electrical mass transit vehicles, but did not make experience in supervising maintenance and repair of those specialized vehicles a requirement for taking the 7253 test. This experience is not solely required, but a qualifying candidate would need to have experience with this type of mass transit vehicle, especially due, the, due to the dangers that surround the high voltage levels that can result in death which is an even more critical need if they're going to be required to be the second line supervisor over staff who work on them. And number five, I am being held to a different standard than people whose applications were processed according to the language on the announcement. All applications were screened based on interpretation of the minimal qualifications in collaboration with subject matter experts. The MQs were applied consistently for all candidates as as such, G's assertion that there is a different standard being imposed on them is not factual. Furthermore, no 7371s qualifying for this recruitment based on that experience alone qualified. Um, SFMTA respectfully requests that the commission deny G's appeal of rejection for the 7253 electrical transit mechanics supervisor recruitment. I have Bill Miles here with me, Talent Acquisition Manager, and we are happy to answer any questions you might have. 
Uh, good. Thank you so much. And uh, commissioners, any questions before we turn to the appellant? Commissioner Crawley. Just one question um, through the chair, madam. Uh, I would ask how many applicants made the 7253 applications? Um, we had a total of 28 applications and 13 were minimally qualified of that. Okay. Thank you. No further questions, Madam Chair. Thank you. Uh, Vice President Favetti. And the number of vacancies? We have two current vacancies. Duration of the list? I'm sorry, you probably had, I can't remember. Well. I think they're generally 12 months, Bill. We're not, we're not sure about that. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. And then I just wanted to have one other follow up. Could you distinguish between a lead worker and acting assignment? Just lead worker? Lead worker? Versus acting assignment, just for the record. And I'm sorry. Uh, acting assignment. And what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the question? <laughs> Could you, for the record, please distinguish between lead worker and a person who's been appointed or assigned or acting assignment? Oh, got it. Okay. So if a person was a lead worker, um, they would not necessarily be assigned to the full scope of supervisory responsibilities which um, an, in an acting assignment, you would be performing at least 50% or higher of you know, supervisory responsibilities, which could include things like um, signing off on time cards, um, um, writing performance um, measures on an employee, reviewing them, evaluating them, um, taking adverse actions against them and things of that nature. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, any additional questions? All right, um, Appellant G, we're ready to hear from you. Thank you. Come to the podium. Um, good afternoon, uh, Civil Service Commissioners. Uh, my name is Mao G, spelled M-A-U-N-G-G-Y-I, and I have been an electric transit system mechanic for SFMTA for 18 years often been assigned as a lead worker the night shifts. Prior to this, I was a shop supervisor for San Francisco Auto Repair Center, Inc. for 19 years. I'm appealing the rejection of my application to take the test for 7253 Electric Transit Supervisor 1 at SFMTA. I'm being rejected on the, on the basis of a different qualification than those stated in the how to qualify the section of the announcement. The qualifications are three years of supervisory experience on electrical and mechanical maintenance and repair of mass transit vehicle and equipment, and a valid Class C driver license. Despite meeting these standards, I was rejected by Ms. Angela Eng in her second email, which states that I was disqualified due to the shop having not worked on hybrid or electric mass transit vehicles. The qualification to take the test are very clear on the announcement. Qualifying does not require supervision over maintenance and repair of hybrid or electric mass transit, but rather 
supervise of electrical and mechanical repair of mass transit vehicles and equipment, electric or otherwise. Even so, all mass transit vehicles are electric, electrical system, such as uh, the headlights uses electrical system, uh, fuel pumps, uh, starter motors, ignition system, and et cetera. Pretty much 95% of the vehicle, if it is not 100%, uses electrical nowadays. A few days before the hiring, hearing, sorry, uh, the staff report claimed that I, that my work at SF Auto Repair Center did not qualify because they believe the shop did not meet the scope and frequency of other municipal transit agencies. Their assumption was wrong. The test announcement, announcement make no mention of scope and frequency of the work. And even though it is likely for other private shops to not meet the scope, SF Auto did, in fact, meet the scope and frequency. Their assumption is wrong. The test announcement make no mention, oh, sorry. Uh, having been an electric transit system mechanic for SFMDA for 18 years and been lead worker for much of the time, I know very well what the scope and frequency of the work at SFMDA is. Lead workers compared to a supervisor, according to San Francisco Human Resource, shows they both have the same responsibility over the mechanics. The lead worker trained employee assigned work and ensure that, that it is completed and work rules and procedures are enforced. Supervisors do much of the same, but but they, they have other responsibility, often take, take them away from the floor. The lead person stays with the, the mechanics. The qualifications for taking this test do not state that I have to be a full supervisor, only that I supervise main, maintenance and repair of mass transit vehicles and equipment, which the lead worker certainly does. Furthermore, despite having often been assigned as a lead worker, which would be mentioned in my performance evaluation, but the staff report says there is none for my 18 years of SFMDA. While I cannot provide a three full year in which I was given a lead pay, at page five of announcement, full time is described as uh, 2,000 hours a year and 50 hours a week, 52 weeks. It's a year that leaves no room for sick leave, vacation, national holidays, et cetera. Many exceptions to this requirement must have been made. In which my case, my many hours supervising maintenance and repair on mass transit vehicles and equipment would exceed the three year minimum to qualify. Therefore, I'm requesting that decision that I do not qualify to take the SFMDA 7253 electric transit system mechanic one test be reversed and that I'll be allowed to take the exam based on the qualifications set forth by the job announcement. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Appellant G. Uh, let's see. Uh, commissioners, questions or comments at this point? We will take questions or comments 
for either the department, MTA, or Appellant G. Vice President Favetti. Thanks to Appellant G. Um, I wanted, from your words, the department address this 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 your your comment and your the additional information that you the department addressed your comments um in the additional information you submitted um but i wanted to have you expand a bit on it that you say i'm held to a different standard than people whose applications were processed according to the language in the test announcement and could you Oh, furthermore, this different standards are being imposed on me, and it's not even clear to people who are imposing it on me. Could you expand on that? Yes. Um, according to the uh, job announcement, and, you know, I mean, uh, the uh, HR mentioned, and I could mention the same thing. It's a supervisory experience, three years of supervisory experience over mechanical and electrical repair and maintenance of mass transit vehicles and equipment, and which I do possess that from, from my previous work at San Francisco Auto Repair Center, Inc. So, uh, and then, you know, uh, I provided them with the, uh, with the uh, letter from, from my previous work, that, which is written in 2006. So, which is like, I mean, you know, I'm not planning to get this job. 18 years ago, so, you know, it is written what for what it is, you know, so uh, it, it does spell out, like they said, uh, uh, small check and all that stuff. Yes, we do, because, you know, it, you know, it, it is a, at that time, uh, at one point, there's only two places in San Francisco that can, can perform small check, and, and we're one of them, and we're very proud of that. You know, aside you know, from that, we do all the, uh, the transit vehicles as well as, you know, uh, is mentioned on the letter. So, um, frequency and scope, I mean, once you teach a, a person how to do certain things, I mean, you don't need to teach them every day, you know, I mean, you don't go in and say, hey, you, know, you do this, not like that, you know. I mean, I'm doing a lead work at, uh, at SFMBA. As we speak, and not not today, but you know, uh, I have moved to a different location. So before that, I was I was a lead person. I teach everybody on all the HVAC system that you you uh, San Francisco can enjoy on LRV vehicles. All those are, are fixed, you know, by the people that I train. So uh, I know what the frequency and and uh, scope of SFMTA, and I believe I do have that scope and frequency at the outside. Thank you. You're welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Leon. LG, can you, I'm looking at your job application where you list uh, a number of your experience dating back to 1986, starting with the San Francisco Repair Center, all the way to uh, your current position here in the, the city. Can you just briefly point to me uh, just looking at your experience that you wrote, uh, where you think you qualify for the minimum qualifications of three years of supervisorial electrical mechanical uh, evaluation equipment of mass transit right. and equipment. I mean, uh, we, you know, like, uh, uh, like, let's take the first one, the San Francisco Repair Center. 
right? Okay. Where you worked from 86 to 87, about a year. No, 86 to 2006. So, 80- so you have San Francisco Repair Center, and then you have San Francisco Auto Repair Center. Is that the same thing? Yes. Okay. Okay. So I stand corrected. So can you point me? You wrote this, right? You drafted this job application. Uh, yes. Okay. Can you point to me where you think you qualify based on your write write up of your experience, where you qualify for the three years experience or partial qualification? So most of the um, most of the seventy two fifty threes, uh, if you look at in a not there yet. I'm just looking at looking okay. back at your history, right from eighty six to two thousand six. Eighty seven to two thousand six. Yeah, so at the San Francisco Auto Repair Thank Center. You. Where does it say in particular? Where does it say that you uh, supervise the electrical and mechanical uh, equipment of mass transit? And vehicles, what does it say? Um, it, it doesn't say it that way. It's just saying that we, we service fleet and commercial uh, transit and mass transit vehicles and equipment. Okay, so, so it doesn't say that, does it? Take your time. Yes. Not too long though. So, you know, I, I did mention that uh, I do communicate with personal, you know, uh, supervisors uh, and establish priority requirement, uh, time requirement, uh, repair vehicles, and make decisions on which vehicle to start repairing. Right, but order. there's no reference, there's no mention of mass vehicle equipment. Um, no, mass transit vehicles is only mentioned on the top what we did. Direct me to that portion, please. It will be like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Under say foreman supervisor from from nineteen eighty seven to two thousand six. On the second line, it's a. Uh, let me get there. I just lost my spot. Okay, where are you again? Sorry. So I'm looking at your foreman supervisor position from 87 to 2006. Yes, sir. Direct me to that portion where you believe you qualify for the minimum qualification of three years or partial. So, um, so all the duties that I listed right here actually yep. fall under how muni supervisors perform. I can only yeah, uh, but there's a distinction though, right? Because between, I don't know what you, I mean, I only know what you did based on you filling out at the uh, job application, right? Yes. yes right? But my understanding is that San Francisco Auto Repair Center does not have any mass transit vehicles, that you no, don't repair it, any mass transit equipment. No, it, it, it does not. Does not, right? No, I mean, we, but we do have contract with, with, with. That's not my question, sir. I mean, did you have, did the repair shop have any mass vehicle? Mass transit vehicles and equipment. My shop doesn't, but we have contract with people that does have mass transit. So did you? So the answer is no. 
The answer is yes, we do not have okay. other vehicles. Okay, let's move on to the next other vehicles. Okay, let's move on to the next portion then, the SFMTA one. Okay. In terms of your, your so you became an ETS mechanic from 2006 to now? Yes. It, but, right, so point me to where you think you have the three years of experience supervising electrical and mechanical staff. I'm trying to help you out. I'm trying to get a better understanding in terms of yes, sir. where you're coming from, sir. Take your time. So do you have an answer for that in terms of your experience here at SFMTA from 2006 to 20? SFMTA, I do not have a, a assigned assistant supervisor job. Right. I only have a lead person lead. job. Right. And then uh, SFMTA does have a comparison between lead person and uh, and the supervisor. Uh, it is in, in what is your in your mind what is what is the difference between a lead and a supervisor? So the only the only time that the lead person, in my understanding, the lead person doesn't do what the supervisor can do is to um, discipline employees. I do not discipline employees. I have to tell the supervisor to discipline employees. What about troubleshooting? Troubleshooting, everything is done. That's supervisor, right? No, not not not, not true. Is done by mechanics, okay. like myself. Okay. And what about performance person. matrix establishing performance matrices? So everything, you know. Um, let's say there's a, a. Let me give you an example. Okay. Let's say we have a new LRVs, you know, on the tracks. The new LRVs mechanics were taught by the training department. So, so training department taught us how to work on various, you know. Uh, uh, the systems, and then, and then we come back, and then you know the lead person, the lead person always have to make sure ensure that the job were done. Let's say you check in the battery, so the mechanic check the battery, call the lead person, hey come 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 over and, and verify this. Oh, 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 okay. So uh, so I would, uh, you know, I would come out and, you know, check the battery and then say, okay, the batteries are checked. Okay. You know, there's enough fluid in there. The, uh, you know, uh, everything that is called for is done. Then you sign it off. So, right. so it does act as a supervisor at, at the time of supervisor not there. And don't forget, sir, the Muni f facilities are are very big, not as big as the city hall, maybe, but you know it's huge, and then we have groups of people working. So sometimes they have more than just one lead in the in the facility. You have many leads sometimes because you know the supervisor cannot be running around, you know, all over the place to to take care of the situation. So, isn't the lead more very specific to a section or the, the, a, a group of workers? Or if you are assigned to a lead, you are you are responsible for yes, those yes. employees in that group. Yes, but don't not necessarily overseeing an entire operation department or division. No, that that is a different uh, that is a different uh, classification. The classification that I'm applying for. So the assistant supervisor would have, you know, do what I was, you know, like a lead person would have do, but it's still an assistant supervisor. 
Okay, I, I, on that point, I'd like to hear from the department. Yes. Okay, I don't have any questions uh, for now anymore. Thank you. William Miles, Senior Town Acquisition Manager at SFMTA. Um, I wanted to start with a couple other things before I take any additional questions you might have had, but do want to mention um, as far as previous appeals on the matter in this series, uh, we had a number of non-contemporaneous letters in the series done in the past, um, staying essentially that mechanical, individuals in a mechanical, um, sorry, I'm saying it wrong, automotive mechanics series, uh, we're essentially doing the electrical work, which is supposed to be the work of this series. And Local 6 at that time had brought to SFMTA's attention a letter that was submitted back in 2008 that said that the automotive mechanics will get responsibility over the hybrid vehicles, but the actual repair of the electrical pieces of those vehicles is to be sent off to the electrical series to perform that work. Um, I do hear a little bit of differences here, perhaps, perhaps between the differences of supervisory and lead, and even the word supervision itself, where there's supervision of functions that people talk about when we have a minimum qualifications as supervisory over personnel. Um, so sometimes I would hear like I manage this project or I supervise this project, but it's really just the work that's like work moving around, not necessarily any evaluations of the staff performance um, or any decisions being made on hiring decisions, firing decisions, discipline decisions, things like that. So that is a difference I want to point out because those that are in the automotive mechanics series will work on things like work orders, where like there is work to be done on a vehicle, they will sign that for the electrical workers to perform. Once the electrical workers have performed it, then they are responsible for making sure that vehicle is ready to go back out, that you know everything's up to speed, but they're not actually in the shop supervising the electrical workers and the repair work that they are doing. Um, so given that, oh, I just want to also say that it's a 12-month list. Uh, we do have a list that we just finished as well that was very quick uh, that had 17 people on it. We hired 11 of those 17, so then we needed to post another recruitment right afterwards to fill the remaining vacancies. So with that, any other questions you have? Thank you. Uh, Manager Malls, thank you. Uh, commissioners, additional questions or comments? Okay, if there are no additional questions or comments, uh, we are ready for a motion. Um, after reading the material and hearing the testimony, um, of course, I would, uh, I would move to uh, uphold the decision of the Director of Transportation and deny the appeal. So, in light of the fact that the appellant did not provide sufficient information or additional information that would qualify him for the three minimum qualification, that particular aspect of it, I second the motion. We have a motion and a second to adopt the report with the consequence being to deny the appeal of appellant Guy. Um, if you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now.
President Minor, no public comment at this time. No public comment in the room. Uh, we are ready for the roll call vote of the commissioners on the motion to adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have voted to adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal. Appellant G, thank you for being here. Um, MTA, thank you for your presentation. And we are ready to move to the next agenda item. Item 16, appeal of rejection of application by Malay Maloa for 7253 Electrical Transit Mechanics Supervisor 1, recommendation of the Municipal Transportation Agency, adopt the report and deny the appeal by Maloa. Okay. Um, I think I saw Appellant Maloa. Oh, I do see. Appellant Maloa, um, can you say something that we so we can confirm we have good audio with you? I'm here. Can you hear okay. me? Okay. Yes, we're hearing you very well. Thank you. We will start with the department and then we'll turn to you for your uh, presentation and response to questions. Okay. We are ready to proceed with MTA. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is William Miles, M-I-L-E-S, Talent Acquisition Senior Manager at the SFMTA. I am starting the agency's response to provide a summary of information regarding historical information about the subject of the appeal. In May of 2022, the SFMTA posted an examination announcement for the same recruitment, 7253 Electrical Transit Mechanics Supervisor 1. The minimum qualifications for this position require three years of verifiable full-time experience supervising electrical and mechanical maintenance and repair of mass transit equipment and vehicles. These minimum qualifications have not changed in the current posting. This classification is the supervisory position in SFMTA's, sorry, second level supervisory position SFMTA's electrical transit system mechanic classification series. This series is responsible for mechanical, electrical, and electronic work in connection with the maintenance and repair of electrically powered transit equipment and vehicles, including but not limited to trolleys, streetcars, light rail vehicles, and cable cars. Uh, Mr. Maloa submitted an application for the 2022 recruitment and exam staff determined at that time experience on the application was not qualifying um, or not sufficient to meet the minimum qualifications. Specifically, Mr. Maloa only possessed seven months of experience in a qualifying class of 7380 electrical transit mechanic assistant supervisor at that time. SFMTA HR wishes to note that a number of candidates in the automotive series submitted non-contemporaneous letters as a part of that recruitment. Upon learning of these letters, Local 6 provide SFMTA HR a memo from October 2008, which states that the hybrid vehicles would be given to Local 14, 14 overall, but the electrical repair and equipment would remain with Local 6 classifications. After time was provided to the transit division to provide documentation related to electrical repair work assigned to individuals in the automotive mechanics series equivalent to the electrical transit system mechanics series, the chief people officer denied certification of all non-contemporaneous letters that had been received. As such, it was determined that the automotive mechanics, which are supervised by the 7382 class, are not performing the equivalent functions to qualify for the 7253 exam. The appeal of this matter was heard by a commission on November 7, 2022, and a decision was to deny the appeal. 
It has been about one year and four months since the filing deadline of the prior appeal to the current filing deadline, which does not seem to provide enough information or enough time for Malota to gain the two years, three months of qualifying experience to have been previously indicated in the previous appeal. Um, I will hand it off to Shivani Nath to speak about the new application and documents provided. Thank you so much, um, Shivani Nath, exams and classification manager. So we posted the job advertisement for the electrical transit mechanic supervisor, class code 7253 on September 27th, 2023 and closed it on October 11th of 2023. Um, Manager Miles earlier referred, uh, stated what the MQs were. The MQs were the same on this bulletin as well, and we did not receive any appeals in regards to the minimum qualifications on the job announcement. Um, Maloa applied for this recruitment on October 7th of 2023. Um, Maloa is currently employed by us and is appointed to class code 7382 as an automotive mechanic assistant supervisor. Um, Maloa was credited for possessing seven months of the required three years of supervisory experience and the minimum qualifications for his experience as an electrical transit mechanic assistant supervisor in the past. Um, Maloa did not receive any additional credits because his current class appointment is to class code 7382, which is a supervisory class, but not over staff who are performing electrical and mechanical maintenance and repair of mass transit equipment and vehicles. And instead, he's over staff who are responsible for mechanical work in the maintenance, repair, and overall of automotive, diesel, hybrid, and alternative fuel equipment. An incumbent in the automotive series is only involved in identifying the electrical failures of such vehicles. An example of electrical repair would be to a propulsion system in a hybrid, which makes the vehicle drive, or the fare box on a coach. Also important to underscore is that the classes, the classes represented by the Machinist Union Local 1414, separate from Local 6, who represents the class of the subject appeal. No additional information by way of contemporaneous documentation or acting assignments were found in Maloa's files. Um, and in Maloa's role as a shop supervisor one slash shop foreman, uh, mechanic slash shift lead at Sunnyvale Acura and MV Transportation, respectively. Um, he wasn't credited for these specifically because Acura is not a um, is, is does not work on mass transit vehicles, and um, and there were no supervisory tasks nor enough information on whether electrical and mechanical maintenance and repair was performed on mass transit vehicles and equipment at MV transportation. Maloa participated in the interactive process with the exams analyst and submitted a memo authorizing a formal acting assignment as an automotive transit shop supervisor one, class code 7228. Um, as discussed earlier, um, because this classification belongs in the automotive series, um, Zero credits of experience were given toward the minimum qualifications for the subject class. Maloa also provided work orders tickets to demonstrate that they were supervising incumbents working on electrical repairs of these types of equipment. And while the work orders and tickets may include Maloa's signature, um, it does not demonstrate that they are providing direct work direction, including advising staff and solving difficult electronic transit problems, assisting in training and managing personnel or operational problems. 
Instead, this is aligned with the classification specific specification document. This is a part of their duties um, where the automobile series uh, list where they check a variety of automobile, diesel, hybrid, and alternate fuel equipment, including troubleshooting malfun malfunctions and hybrid and alternative fuel equipment in determining repair requirements. Um, as such, you know, he, he acted like a project manager, um, went through a checklist, determined that something needed to be fixed, and then it was signed off and um, sent off to the qualifying personnel at SFMT who would then work on the actual electrical repairs, which would be down to the component level. Um, SFMTA respectful, respectfully requests that the commission deny Malo's appeal of rejection for 7253, the electrical transit mechanics supervisor recruitment. Thank you. Commissioners, any questions before we hear from the appellant? Okay. Um, appellant? Yes. Okay. We are ready to hear from you. All right. So that's a lot that they just laid on me. <laughs> my name is Malay Maloa. I'm actually out on vacation right now. So I'm working off of just one screen on my laptop. Uh, I, what I'm looking for the Civil Service Commission to do is just rent my 7382 work experience through SFMTA uh, as qualifying for the 7352 job position. Excuse me, 7253 job position. I'm a first line supervisor in my classification. I also am an acting second line supervisor in the automotive. Uh, series classification, and I have done the superintendent transit supervisor uh, acting classification uh, as well. So I put all of that in there because HR last time was not accepting any non-contemporous letters stating that I was doing electrical work or supervising electrical work. So this time I'm trying something different without any non-contemporous letters. That's why I, I do not have any submitted this time. Uh, what uh, what I'm trying to prove with the information that I gave was that over the last three years that I have supervised the electrical diagnosis, repair, and rebuild of SFMTA's bus mass transit fleet, which I work on, which is the diesel hybrid and battery electric buses. That's what I currently work on. And the HR is denying my 7382 off of the series that I'm in. But what I'm trying to explain to you guys is that technology has gotten our classification so close, if not overlapping, the electrical transit mechanic and assistant supervisor, also with the automotive mechanic uh, and assistant supervisor and going up. Uh, everything is going electrical right now. I mean, in 10 years, 15 years, we could be going hydrogen, we could be going, you know, something else, it's electrical. So both of the unions are at a fight right now, and it looks like I'm part of the being caught in the middle of jurisdiction of work. But the duties that I actually perform, and I do supervise the electrical and mechanical repair of diesel bus 
hybrid and battery electric. And HR can say all that they want about the electrical portion not being in my classification. It is in there and it's it's labeled as other job duties. It's the last, the very last thing that's on our job duties. So it's other job duties that are as assigned. And as technology keeps on expanding, my job duties are gonna keep on expanding, but sometimes we can't always put it inside of the job scope. And Bill Miles can tell you how hard it is to get some of the job scopes updated without with getting approval and sign off from all the other unions and from civil service. So even though we would like to fix some of the some of the verbiage that's in both of the classifications, it, it's a it's a long way coming. We're gonna have to figure something else on that. But that's what it looks like. I'm kind of stuck in. Uh, I'm a I'm a acting second line supervisor currently. Uh, I've, I've been a first line supervisor for the electrical transit side and for the automotive side. I just decided to go back to the automotive side because I thought that there was more room for me to to go up the the chain of command or the promotion ladder. And I still would like to follow my another promotion ladder through the electrical transit side. Uh, I, I do performance evaluations. I do, I do, uh, if you would want to say reprimands, I do coaching and counseling. Uh, I watch numerous personnel across numerous shifts. I watch numerous unions and different uh, collective bargaining units. I currently watch over five different collective bargaining units. Uh, I'm currently at the Kirkland Division that's out by Pier 39 with all the diesel hybrid buses. Uh, I mean, I do the second line work right now, currently. It's just under the automotive classification and HR is denying me any of that experience. And as a second line supervisor, I could tell you that I actually supervise through my subordinate supervisors for any of the specifics that need to be done on the buses, whether it be uh, electrical battery rebuilds, whether it be break, uh, a brake job, whether it be technical tools or service bulletins. I do, I know about them, but I would de delegate a lot of that through my subordinate supervisors. And that's ultimately what this classification is. It's a second line supervisor. And I'm currently doing it. I, I currently have almost all of the certifications that they take 24 plus uh, all of the HR, all of the HR certifications. I've been in the training classes with superintendents and the actual 7253s that have gotten chosen last time. I, as I'm saying, I do the job and I have the knowledge. I've been on both sides, the electrical transit side and the diesel hybrid and battery electric side. It just so happens that my classification, and, and like I said, I'm stuck in between both of the unions fighting for work jurisdiction, and that's where we are, we're stuck here with all the verbiage. Doing the job, I could do the job. I can get letters, non-contemporous letters from the director of maintenance, from Julie Kirschbaum herself if I need to, but HR was not accepting that last time, so I did not go that route this time. What I'm just asking the civil service to do is just accept my 7382 and my acting 7249 and 7228 experience towards the, the three years of qualifying service for mass transit vehicles and equipment. Does anybody have any questions for me? Okay, so let me do my job and ask that question. 
do we have any questions for the appellant? Commissioners? Or for the department, having heard um, the appellant's uh, presentation? Vice President Favetti and then Commissioner Salveson. The department, it's a very, uh, you already covered it in the uh, report. You already covered it. Could you go over again the um, promotive lines that would qualify the appellant? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, just to repeat the question, the question was to repeat which promotive lines would qualify for this examination. So the typical pathway, which SFMTA happens to have two mechanical classification series, um, there's the automotive and there's the electrical transit mechanic. So the electrical transit system mechanic goes from a 7371 to a 7380, which is the assistant supervisor. And then the 7380 is the classification that, super, that would qualify for 7253 going through our pathways. And so the 49 would not. I'm sorry, could anybody repeat that? Well, never mind. We'll go on to Commissioner Salveson. She asked if the 7249 would not qualify. Yeah, the 7249 is in the automotive series, so that one would not qualify for the electrical series. Thank you for that, for repeating that. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Could I ask a question to Bill real quick while we're on the 7249? Uh, just a minute. Let's let Commissioner Salveson ask her question and then I'll come okay. back. Uh, so my understanding of the appellant's argument is that he is doing electrical work on mass transit vehicles in the assistant um, auto mechanics supervisor position that he has. And I wanted you to respond on um, whether that work, uh, whether he's been given credit for that work or should be given credit for that work or whether uh, you disagree with his characterization of what he's doing. Yeah, so as mentioned um, from last time's recruitment, we got a number of non-contemporaneous letters stating that individuals in the automotive series, both in classes 7381 and 7382, were performing electrical repair work to the same standards as the electrical series. Uh, this was brought to the attention of the union. They heard for their membership that these letters existed. They asked for those letters through public records requests and essentially stated back to SFMCA that they felt that the letters were mischaracterizing the work that is actually being performed by the automotive mechanics series. Um, that is when they provide to us a 2008 letter that says if this were true, this would not be in, it would be in violation of this letter where essentially the work is supposed to go to the electrical series to be performed. 
Now, what is common in the automotive series is what's called re remove and replace. So you essentially, let's say a fare box or something was out of commission, you might take that device out so that the electrical series could then actually do the repair work on it and replace it with another one. I don't know if they do that for the fare box necessarily, but for sure circuits where they will remove and replace the circuit and just put a new one in. Um, I like to say like that's kind of equivalent to like replacing a tire on a car. If you take off one tire and put it back on, your the car can move again, but that tire itself is still damaged until somebody goes and actually fixes the tire itself. Um, so the electrical series would actually do the repair on the electrical pieces themselves. Um, what's very through our review was very clear as far as the differences between the two series is really their connection points. So those that are in the electrical series are connected to the rails or connected to the overhead lines. And that's really where those high voltage electricity exists, which makes it a very dangerous position uh, for individuals not properly trained in electrical work to be handling um, the disconnection of those parts. So that's the equipment part of the minimum qualifications when we say that, you know, it needs to be both the vehicles and the equipment on there. Okay, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. The chair, thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you for that uh, explanation as well. My question is to go back to the applicants. You had 28 and then of which 13 uh, were deemed acceptable. Uh, what, what, where did they come from? What classification? What do you mean 13? I don't understand. There was, there was 13 accepted applicants. I'm, I'm talking to, oh. for, thank you very much for allowing me to talk to the community. Thank you. Go ahead. You're welcome. Um, so I don't have that information in front of me, um, at this moment, but I could certainly look into it. Okay. Thank you. No further questions, Madam Chair. Okay. Uh, commissioners, any additional? Uh, our, our appellant is raising his hand. Please, uh, appellant. Appellant. Yes. Uh, I, I have a question, uh, Bill. Can I? Uh, can I go back to you? So. In, uh, I guess, Exhibit L, where it says the 7249, uh, there is a portion that's highlighted in that exhibit. And does it not state that there's mechanical, electrical repair as well? I'm trying to get to the exhibit, so give me a moment here. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> You said exhibit L, attachment L? Uh, yeah, maybe attachment L. The 7249 Automotive Mechanic Supervisor 1 spec job spec. Yeah, I see why I have it off. Okay. That's not that one. I have it as page 55 of the packet. I got to it. Thank you. So, in the introduction, it does state that it includes wide variety of automotive, including gasoline, electric, hybrid, 
and natural gas powered and heavy duty diesel equipment. And then can I also add in that for SFMTA, they work on bus mass transit fleet, am I correct? So um, I do want to state to there for the commission is that is true. What is on the line there is on uh, Maloa dash one, two, five, which is engaged in the maintenance, repair, overhaul and servicing of wide variety of automotive, including gasoline, electric, hybrid and naturally gas powered or heavy duty diesel equipment. Um, in addition to KSA, sorry, important duty number two, supervises the maintenance, repair, overhaul, and servicing of automotive, including gasoline, electric, hybrid, and natural gas powered and or heavy duty diesel equipment, including engines, dry trains, and then the rest is on there. Um, from my understanding of the classification series is that there are vehicles such as what we now have, which are battery electric vehicles, which are essentially free moving um, the next iteration, you might say, of hybrid vehicles. So they're not connected to the tracks, they're not connected to the overhead power lines. There are electrical pieces of those vehicles, and I do understand there is some repair work uh, being done by these workers that might have to do with those vehicles. I think that does need to be parsed out a little bit better as we go through this classification series. Um, I do not believe that the acting time period in the class 7249 makes up for the two years, five months that we're missing. However, even if we were to qualify this classification. We're getting there, Bill. We're getting there. I just want you to give me a portion of it. Can you give me that portion? Yes or no? That it does say electrical. It does say electrical on there, yes, yes. And, and for SFMTA, do we work on bus mass transit vehicles? For yeah. SFMTA. Yes, hybrid buses or any other free moving buses, diesel and battery electric. Am I correct? Battery electric has okay. become local 1414s as far as I know. Yes, and there's also special training with the battery electric and the diesel hybrids. There's a lot of high voltage training that comes with that. There's lockout tag out. There's a whole bunch of uh, high voltage. I, this thing runs the same high voltage as the overhead lines. So we're running 660 to 700 volts AC so, and so there's an inverter to have it as DC as well. Am I correct? Oh, oh, I don't know enough specifically about those trains personally to be able to answer that question. Okay, so then you're not a subject matter expert on this. So you can't say that we don't work on the same, if not similar equipment for electrical storage, for electric storage capacity, for lockout tag out. For safety features, am I correct? Um, that's why we rely on our surgery experts, and that's why the surgery experts we do have on this have told us that, you know, the work that was performed, like I said, they could not validate it last year as far as these job duties being equivalent to those in the electrical series. Plus, it's not the same type of moving vehicles where we're doing the full extent of electrical. The information you provide to me about the high voltage is new information to my to me. No, I, I brought this up last time that we had this whole thing when I lost last time, but I'm I'm coming a little bit better prepared this time, and I'm not doing any non-contemporous letters on this time. So you keep bringing up non-contemporous letters. If we want to go that route, I, like I said, I can get non-contemporous letters and we could turn them in. 
and stating the work that is performed by my classification. The only reason I bring up the non-contemporaneous letters is because it was validated that all individuals in the automotive series do not perform this work. So non-contemporaneous letter or contemporaneous, that was the decision made. Okay. And the other letters that I had turned in that were over the 7318s were stating that I did supervise them and I do supervise them. So I send out an email to them every morning stating the work that I have and that I need people to come over and do the repairs. When they come to do the repairs, I also double check the repairs and make sure that the repairs fixed and that it was done. If there's an issue, I work with electronic techs going through wiring schematics, going through power and grounds and helping them troubleshoot their equipment. And I wish that I could have just brought any of the electronic techs here that come to my facility. They would advise you that I know what I'm doing and that I assist them whenever possible. I know how to read wiring schematics and I do assisting and troubleshooting with them as well. And that's also part of my job jurisdiction as a 7382. I do troubleshooting. The letter that you keep bringing up about the unions from 2008, it just states that there's only certain equipment that they rebuild and it's their electronic techs that rebuild that equipment, the 7371 or the 7380 series. So, do you have the non-contemporaneous letter that you uh, brought up from 2008? I don't see it in the packet. The non-contemporaneous letter or the local right. uh, agreement between Local 6 and 1414 as far as getting the, the hybrid vehicles? Sorry, the, so, the, so, Manager Miles, hold, hmm? hold on a second. Um, I appreciate what's happening now. And um, clearly the commission hopes that these conversations take place before the parties appear before the commission. And um, at this point, um, my question is, is this an opportunity for you and the appellant to further discuss and come back to the commission? I think there was one thing I heard that I'd be very interested to know. Um, Maloa, you mentioned doing performance appraisals for individuals. Are any of those individuals in the electrical series? Because I know the 7318s are supervised by different classifications. So if you have anything like that, that's considered contemporaneous documentation. And I don't know if you have three years worth of that, but that would be something we could definitely consider towards minimum qualifications if you have something like that. I will have to look. Uh, I'm uncertain if I have what you need. I would have to get you what I have, and then you would have to let me know if it's sufficient or not. Because I've already tried to turn in three years. Like, I went back three years of me supervising the 7318 classification when they're on my site and at my facility, and you guys aren't accepting that. So I, I do not know. I couldn't give you a definitive answer, yes or no. I would say yes, but you may say, you know, maybe, maybe not. Okay. Okay. Let's let's hold it for a second, um, Commissioner Leon. So I think this is very good discussions between the two parties, but I don't think we can make a decision as a commission, as a body, uh, based on uh, additional information shared by you and by the appellant. Maybe it would be a good idea for the parties just to have another discussion or meeting, just to iron things out, and then come back with your recommendation at a later point, maybe at the next meeting. Yep, that'll be fine. Okay. 
Thank you. And um, do we need to? How much time do you think you'll need? Um, Maloa, do you? How much time do you think you need to look for those documents? Well, like I said, I'm on vacation this whole week. I'm doing this from Tahoe. I'm in Tahoe right now, so, so I won't even be back until next week, Tuesday. Got it. Our next report, if it were to be for the March fourth meeting, the first Monday of March would be due, I believe, the 17th of February. Uh, do you think you have enough time to give anything back to us by then, or should we aim for the meeting after that? I could, I, I'll get you as much as I can when, uh, when I get back to the office. Uh, I can't give you the definitive date. This is it, <laughs> tell him this, you get one shot. <laughs> Yeah, I get one uh, shot. And I, it's got to be good. The department is accommodating your need. I mean, I don't know when your vacation is going to be over. This is your one shot. You get the, all the information to the department. Let the department reevaluate your situation, and then come back with the recommendation or yay or nay. What about so? I'll be back on the thirteenth, and that'll only give me four days to get you information, and then get it back to me. To with me four days, with four days, be sufficient, or do you need additional time beyond the four? I will need additional time. Okay, because that, that's how come I didn't get any more information to Bill and his group because I only had five days last time. All right, department. The second meeting, commissioners. Yeah. I just like to clarify for the meeting of March fourth, the staff report would be due on the twenty second of February. Oh, okay, perfect. Done. March fourth. Is that sufficient time? I, I think that should be sufficient given when we get it. And if we don't have enough time, we can always we can always ask for more time. Yeah. Okay. Right. And just so for the appellant to be aware, my staff is reminding that the appellant actually has until the twenty seventh. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Okay. President Minor. We do have Art Gonzalez on the line with his hand raised, so I don't know if you'll be giving public comment. Um, okay. Um, if no, I will say that Art can also reach out to us. I don't, I don't know what the standing is, if public comment is allowed or not. Um, do we know this person who's making kind of a public comment is a union? He's a union rep. Oh, okay. Um, let's let's hear the public comment, Elizabeth, please. Okay. Art, um, your your microphone is on now. Please state your name for the record. Uh, Arthur Gonzalez, uh, business representative for uh, Local fourteen fourteen. Actually retired, but I am also the. Um, I am negotiating the contract for local 1414 at this time. So I just wanted to, um, you referenced the 2008 letter and I was actually there negotiating that. And um, I don't believe that um, we are actually fighting as Malay says with the other unions. We just let the, uh, let the um, department, the um, MTA decide. But what I wanted to tell you guys is that the buses are basically the same. Um, if you take a bus that's uh, um, either on wires or on um, being um, just the propulsion units are different, whether it's a diesel or whether it's electric. But that letter that you're referring to says that the components, we remove the components. So in other words, we diagnose it, the, the 1414 mechanics diagnose it. 
we take the component out, hand the component out to the local six, and they actually take it apart because they redo the windings and all of um, the inners of the component. We take the component back, put it back onto the, the coach, and, and, and get the coach to run again. So to say that we don't do electrical on our side is, is just wrong. Um, buses have, all buses have a lot of electrical, not just the uh, propulsion unit. So I'm not saying that we rebuild it with those components. And as Malay says, that's a different, a different classification that actually does the rewinding. So one other thing I want to say is I, I don't want to see Malay go to local six, but if that helps him to move up and be, and I think that's when we, when we do negotiations, when we talk to the city and MTA, we want our employees to move up and better themselves. I see several of you guys, even in this room that have moved from HR or DHR, or they go to the different department to the zoo. They go to the, you know, now you're at civil service. People move and go all over, right? Vitus and, and, and you have qualifications, but maybe you didn't know about zoo animals, but now you do. Now you, now you're doing civil service, but I'm just saying, not, I'm just using your example. Cause I know you, but, um, it's a. You have a skill set, and this is a manager, like a supervisory skill set that we're talking about. Supervising employees. It's not saying you take a fare box and look inside a fare box. Yes, you direct someone to repair the fare box, and then you check if the fare box is working. If not, you call that that employee back and tell them to repair the fare box. Using a tire. That's that's that that was kind of not a, a good one. What what Malaya is saying is if you get on top of a hybrid or any of these buses, there's 600 or more voltage at the top of the bus, and it's just like if you're on a wire. Those wires that the, the, the we attach the uh, trolley buses to, they have over 600 volts. There there's a lot of voltage on all these vehicles. It's not like Malay doesn't know high voltage. He does. So. I just want to make those, those those comparisons because it's brought up. If you want to know more about the 2008 letter, I was there. I'm not here to say that you know all our employees are like in Malay's shoes and that we are trying to do a local six uh, work. We are not. But when employees reach a certain level, and he actually did work at local six on the local six side and to improve himself and to make more money. He went back to 1414. I think he should be afforded the opportunity to continue to improve himself and move over to the other union. Not that I want to see him leave our union. I don't, it's, you know, we, we have educated him in our union ways and, and, and put a lot of time and effort into Malay. Uh, but but when it's you know when people want to move up or move on, I think they should be able to. That's something that you you need to look at also. So uh, if you want to know more about the 2008 letter or the work that we do, um, I will try to make the next meeting. And, and that's all I want is to clarify some of the things that I've heard in this meeting today. That um, kind of like, well, you know, that's kind of true, but not. And. Um, Again, I was there at 2008 when we made that uh, with, with uh, Mr. Ford and the people of the MTA that we made that we came to that decision with Mr. O'Rourke from Local Six, and um, yeah, so um, I don't think we should um, be like um, pitting 1414 members against Local Six members. I think we should help both 
both uh, employees from both sides. Be over. If a local six guy came over to a 1414 position, would I tell them, no, you, you, you know, you shouldn't come or whatever. He has mechanical skills. He's a supervisor. Um, you look at, um, you look at, uh, um, uh, Louis Guzzo worked at both places and he's in charge. He was in charge of both local six and 1414. The individual that's in up there now that took over his place. Uh, Michael Henry from local six, he's in charge of 1414 people and local six. And that's how we move up as individuals. Not that we, we pick or choose what union you're in. Anyway, that's all I have to say. And thank you very much for listening to me and, and good to see everyone from the commission. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. We know you're busy right now. Can I get a shout out to Brother Gonzalez? It's so nice to hear from you. And, uh, you know, and thanks for the shout out. I really feel the love from you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. Appreciate you're you. You're welcome, Vitus. <laughs> All right, Commissioner, we had some animals in here. All right. So we have decided that we will uh, continue this. We will try for continue agenda item 16. We will try for our meeting on uh, May 4th. March. I'm sorry, March 4th. Yes, sorry, March 4th. And uh, Manager Miles, you'll let us know if that's not possible. If you need additional time, uh, we don't need to vote on this, do we? You vote to table it. Am I correct? I'm not sure your your own procedures, but I think it is preferable that you vote on something oh. like this. Okay. Um, so, commissioners, uh, a motion to continue agenda, agenda item 16 to our meeting of March 4th, 2024. So moved. Okay. We have a motion and a second to continue agenda item 16 to our meeting of March 4th. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, we have public comment in the room. Please come to the podium. Um. My name is Mang Ji. Uh, I would like to, like to comment on on the uh, Mr. Mao's uh, uh, statement saying that the mass transit vehicles that we're referring to for 7253 is on rails and overhead lines. That is not true because LRV do have rails and overhead lines that is 600 DC converts to 208 AC. But anyway, what I'm trying to comment is cable car is part of 72, uh, 73, 71, 72, 73, 80, and 7253 series uh, job. So cable car do not have electric uh, motors. It doesn't have any motor for that matter. It is run by a cable that the car grab onto that cable and move. That's what it is. So the only electrical work that would have in that vehicle will be a lighting system, uh, maybe radios, or maybe uh, you know, uh, security cameras maybe, something like that. Like every other buses will have, or every other automobile will have, your car will have, it's the same thing. There's no difference. 
but 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 they are disqualifying us on these kind of uh, 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 statements, which is totally, you know, absolutely crazy. I think. That's why, please think about the cable car. Cable car do not have any propulsion, no 600, nothing like that. So, thank you. Uh, thank you for your additional comment. Any additional public comment? Okay, commissioners, uh, the roll call vote to continue agenda item 16 to our meeting of March 4th. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have voted to continue agenda item 16 to our meeting of March 4th. Um, appellant MTA, thank you for being here and for uh, the robust discussion. And we look forward to seeing you back on March 4th. And we are ready. Thank for you for your time. Thank you. We're ready for the next agenda item. Item 17, appeal by Eric Ellison of Human Resources Director's determination that SFPUC did not violate the city's EEO policy in denying appellant's request for religious accommodation that would exempt appellant from the city's vaccination policy. Recommendation of the Department of Human Resources, adopt the report, uphold the decision of the Human Resources Director, and deny the appeal by Eric Ellison. Is Appellant Ellison with us? Is he on the line? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see your hand up. Thank you for being here. Okay, we will continue with our usual procedure, which is starting with the department, and then we will hear from the appellant. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Marvin Dunson III, and I'm an EEO program senior specialist with the Department of Human Resources, Equal Employment Opportunity Division. This matter arose from a religious accommodation request that was submitted in late August 2021 by appellant Eric Eliason, who had been working for the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission since 2010 as a 7372 stationary engineer in the city's wastewater treatment facilities. Appellant requested that his non-denominational religious beliefs be accommodated in the form of an exemption to the requirement under the city's COVID-19 vaccination policy that all city employees as a condition of employment be fully vaccinated with a COVID-19 vaccine. On October 7th, 2021, PUC notified appellant that his exemption request was denied, noting that the documentation he submitted to support his request was insufficient to show a conflict between the vaccination requirement and a sincerely held religious belief. A week later, appellant submitted a complaint to our division alleging that he had been discriminated against because his religious accommodation request was denied. Our division conducted further investigation into appellant's complaint, obtaining additional information and documents from both PUC and appellant. Meanwhile, appellant chose not to meet the condition for maintaining his employment by receiving the COVID-19 vaccine, and consequently, on December 6, 2021, appellant's employment with PUC was terminated. On November 9, 2022, the Human Resources Director informed appellant that based on the investigative findings regarding his EEO complaint, 
PUC did not violate the city's EEO policy by denying his request for a religious accommodation, as there was insufficient evidence to show that appellant had a sincerely held religious belief that conflicted with the vaccination requirement. The HR director also recognized that even if there had been sufficient evidence, his request was properly denied by PUC because accommodating his request to remain unvaccinated at work would in turn impose an undue hardship on PUC and pose a direct threat to appellant and others in the workplace. On December 2nd, 2022, appellant appealed the HR director's determination, reiterating the same secular arguments supporting his opposition to vaccination that were part of his original exemption request and his EEO complaint, and complaining of certain processes and procedural delays in the handling of his request and complaint. The issue on appeal then is whether the HR director appropriately determined that PUC did not violate the city's EEO policy by denying appellant's request for a religious accommodation. For reasons I will explain, the answer to that question is yes. Under civil rights law and the city's EEO and reasonable accommodation policies, the city provides religious-based accommodations if an employee has sincerely held religious beliefs that conflict with a job requirement and the employee can be reasonably accommodated without undue hardship to the department and without posing a direct threat to the health or safety of the employee or others in the workplace. Appellant's own statements about his vaccination beliefs, however, demonstrate that they are not religious beliefs, but are instead personal and secular beliefs. In the documents Appellant submitted in support of his exemption request, Appellant identified his secular concerns about modern medicine, his fear-based aversion to vaccines that he believes are created by evil worldly institutions and not scientifically proven, and emphasized his personal freedoms and natural right to bodily sovereignty, all of which are personal secular beliefs. The information appellant then provided to our unit to investigate his EEO complaint also demonstrated secular, not religious beliefs that emphasized his free will to choose between good and evil and wanting the city to stop dictating what he classified as a medical intervention. With all of these facts, the HR director properly upheld PUC's denial of appellant's religious accommodation request. The HR director also properly determined that appellant's request to remain in his current position while unvaccinated would have imposed an undue hardship on PUC and constituted a direct threat to himself and others in the workplace. The essential functions of appellant's stationary engineer job required him to frequently work in close proximity to coworkers at various wastewater treatment facilities, exposing these coworkers to a greater risk of COVID-19 infection. This significant risk alone constituted an undue hardship and was identified as a direct threat to appellant and others in guidance from the CDC and local public health orders at that time. This threat could not be mitigated because city testing resources were limited, the additional burden of robust monitoring of consistent mask wearing, and requiring appellant to regularly, regularly leave work and get PCR tests that were available at that time would have resulted in significant lost productivity, while removing appellant from performing his essential functions on site would unduly burden his coworkers required to take on those on-site tasks. Accordingly, the HR director also correctly determined that appellant's accommodation would have been an undue hardship. In conclusion, the HR director appropriately determined that the evidence was not sufficient to substantiate appellant's complaint of religious discrimination. 
We respectfully request that the commission deny appellant's appeal and uphold the HR director's determination. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. And Caitlin Verano, PUC's EEO program specialist, and Joel Prather, acting assistant general manager of PUC's wastewater enterprise, are here to answer any questions for the department. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Commissioners, uh, any questions or comments before we turn to the appellant? Okay. Um, EEO, thank you. And uh, the appellant is in the room. Please come forward. Thank you very much. Okay, that was a bunch of rubbish. My name is Eric Eliason. I worked at wastewater operating, treating the sewage that the city in inhabitants flushed down the sewage system, in addition to treating the water from the city's storm system from August 30th, 2010, until my unjust termination on December 6, 2021. As he said, I have no faith in man or its institutions. My faith lies with my creator, God. Uh, you have the information that I submitted. I mean, so you you have all the information I've given. It's like this long. I didn't give you 400 and something pages the city gave you. I gave you 41 pages. Uh, so it would be easy to read. Uh, I filed this appeal with DHR and then with the Civil Service Commission because I was trained by the city and all my former employees on the subject of non-discrimination policies and laws to protect people in a protected class. I did not understand that these non-discriminating policies and laws had loopholes that allow for such discrimination. The documentation presented by myself and DHR demonstrates that the city had no intention of approving any religious exemptions. On page eight, paragraph two of the CSC report written by the DHR, it states, quote, Eliason mistakenly alleges that because PUC only cited one reason in his denial of his exemption request, other reasons cannot be applicable in evaluating his request. On the contrary, PUC appropriately cited only the threshold reason for denying his request following the city's exemption request procedures in effect at that time. I mistakenly alleged nothing. My concern is that I requested a religious exemption from adherence to a COVID-19 vaccine and the stated reasons given for my denial from DHR was due to, quote, documentation insufficient to show a conflict between vaccination requirement and sincerely held religious belief practice or observance, unquote, which DHR alleges was, quote, the threshold reason for denying his request, unquote. Yet after my appeal, the threshold reason was made clear and my religious beliefs were not a considering factor. As an example, the DHR's own document, the CS. Uh, C report given to this commission under section B, human resource director's determination. In this section, it states, quote, moreover, even if there had been sufficient evidence that Eliason had sincerely held religious beliefs that supported his accommodation request, the human resource uh, director recognized that Eliason's accommodation request was properly denied because accommodating license request to remain unvaccinated would impose an undue hardship on PUC and pose a direct threat to Eliason and others in the workplace, end quote. In section C, standard for evaluating undue hardship of the same CSE report, quote, even if an employee sincerely held religious belief, practice, or observant conflicts with the city's vaccine requirement, a department need not provide the requested accommodation if the accommodation would impose an undue hardship on the department. So discrimination is okay, as long as it would 
create undue hardship. Uh, this was repeated again in the position statement given by the DHR to the federal EEOC when defending their position. Under section one introduction, it states, quote, furthermore, the F SFPUC reasonably determined that any potential accommodation would, do, would be an undue burden and pose the direct threat to the health and safety of Eliason and others. Because of this, the SFPUC had a legitimate non-discriminatory business reason to deny Eliason's request for an exemption to city's vaccination requirement for its employees. I do not understand why any religious exemptions were offered if none would be approved because the burden would be too great for the city. I'm almost done. As to me or any other unvaccinated people being unsafe or a burden, I have yet to see any studies that reflect such nonsense. It is widely reported that vaccinated people can still catch and spread COVID-19. And there are many studies that so such. Since my unjust termination, I have worked for two different wastewater treatment facilities and offered another job. I am still not vaccinated and my employer nor my fellow employees have burdened by my medical decisions. My daughter has worked for the state of California as a nurse for several years and her religious exemption was approved. I don't understand how other employers were able to handle the alleged burden of approving religious exemptions from this vaccine, but the city and county of San Francisco could not. COVID-19, the alleged disease, appeared in California in January 2020. I worked on location at Southeast Plant from that time until my unjust termination until December 6, 2021. In that 11-month span, I went from being an essential worker. There were signs at my workplace calling me a hero for, for working during this pandemic uh, to becoming a burden a health risk, a safety risk that must be eliminated from society according to the documents provided by the DHR. You know, on February 16, 2023, the city announced the end of the COVID-19 health emergency would take place on February 28, 2023. In the press release, it was stated, quote, people should respect others' choices around their health, unquote. I was terminated from my 11-year silver service employment for a policy that lasted less than two years. You know, thank you for your time. I, I hope you listen. I hope you do what's right. But I have faith in God. I found another path. It's much harder. It was a lot more difficult. The experience of being treated subhuman by your employer that you served for 11 years. You know, you all need to think about what you're doing. Uh, my wife, I told her to retire six months before I was fired, okay, because she didn't need to. I was making enough. And, and guess what? I'm not now, okay? Th this affects people, okay? I am not a rodent. I, I'm not disease-ridden. I am not a health threat. I am not, I've never missed a, a day of work for, for safety. I've never been injured on the job where I lost, you know, you know, you need to open your hearts, okay? Evil is everywhere. Okay, so we... I'm just trying to find the guy that was up before me. Oh, there he is. That's evil, so, okay? So... That's what evil looks like. Excuse okay. me, excuse me, please. Yes. None of that. Please, please have a seat. We appreciate your comments. Thank you very much. We think uh, we may have a few comments from commissioners. Um, I guess I'd like a little clarification about where we are with uh, grievances and litigation. 
Excuse me. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the department. Thank you. Thank you for the question, President Miner. Uh, appellant did have a step three grievance that was denied in February of 2022. Local 39 appealed that denial to a step four arbitration that was still pending in August of 2023 when this appeal was last scheduled to be heard. So DHR requested to postpone the hearing. Uh, almost three months later in late October 2023, DHR learned from Director Ang's communications with Appellant that Local 39 decided to no longer pursue the grievance of Appellant's termination because the union's attorneys advised the union that an arbitrator would deny Appellant's step four appeal based upon a recent arbitration outcome where the city was found to have just cause to terminate a similarly situated employee for non-compliance with the vaccination policy. In terms of litigation, there is no litigation. There was an administrative complaint to the EEOC, but that complaint was settled along with a bunch of other complaints and the EEOC uh, closed that um, administrative charge. Was this appellant a part of the EEOC uh, complaint and subsequent determination? Uh, the, the appellant filed an EEOC charge in April of 2022 that was closed by the EEOC on June 22nd, 2023, after the city and the EEOC reached a settlement in May 2023 about charges filed by appellant and other city employees. The EEOC noted in closing the matter that it was making no determination about whether any of the claims raised by any of the charges, including appellant's charge, had any merit. Thank you. Okay, uh, commissioners, questions, comments? Um, I have a question for the appellant. Um, tell us what you're seeking. What remedy are you seeking? Have you reapplied for your for uh, a job with the city? No. I, why? I was fired. I was fired wrongfully. Why would I apply it? I, it unless this is fixed, you know, I, I'm not going to get fired again for not taking a vaccine that I don't think is, is right. Okay, uh, Ellen, I believe described it very well. You know, I believe this is a bioweapon. I thought at the time that we were being attacked. Okay. okay. But you, you've answered my question. Okay. So you have not uh, sought reemployment re with the city. No, because I don't need to be fired again. Okay. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Commissioner Crawley. Uh, can I have the appellant back, please? Just a quick question. Um, you're represented by Local 39. I was. So you you are no longer working as a station engineer anywhere else? No, I'm working as a operator in the city of Crockett. Before that, I was working as an operator for the city of St. Helena. Before that, I was here for 11 years. So operator as in operator? A wastewater operator. Oh, okay. Yeah, Thank so what, we, what I did here in the city was work in the wastewater treatment plant. That's the plant that takes everything that's flushed in the city. And we clean it up and we put it back out in, into the bay. Okay, Thank so you. 
So that's that's what my job is. Okay. Thanks very much. I was just asking. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you all. No further questions, Madam Chair. Okay. Thank you, uh, Commissioner. Uh, you can you can make a yeah. statement. Yes. Uh, I'm just curious. How many appeals for religious exemption has come here, and how many did you approve? None. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I thought. Okay. Okay. What I what I will just clarify is you asked a question of the commission and took a response from the audience. Yes. So the the public public participants which we welcome are not authorized to speak on behalf of this commission. So you got no response from the commission, okay? All right. Um, any commissioners, any additional questions or comments? Commissioner Crawley, are you still? Oh, I'm there? sorry, no. Uh, for either the appellant or for the department. Okay, so are you ready? For a motion, uh, Commissioner Salveson. I just have uh, some comments. <clears throat> First of all, um, thank you to both sides for a very thorough presentation. Um, I think both sides set out their positions very well and clearly. Um, and and uh, and the materials were extensive. Um, but it, it's it's clear to me that. Under the standards for religious belief that apply to this EEOC matter, um, the statements made by the appellant do not rise to the level of the kind of religious belief that is required um, for the religious exemption, uh, which includes things like addressing fundamental and ultimate matters of the afterlife, spirituality, or something otherworldly are comprehensive in nature and part of a belief system as opposed to just personal views and are identifiable by certain formal and external signs such as regular gatherings, holidays, or doctrinal teachings. I don't believe that standard is met. I also do believe that um, the undue burden analysis by the city on this appeal is um, uh, justifiable and that it, it, it's an individual determination of undue burden uh, based on the particulars of, of the employee's job and the situation. So I, I think the analysis that was made by the city here is justifiable and so I, I would um, uphold the decision of the, the city for those reasons. I second that motion. So was so that I intended would, as a motion? So I would make a motion to um, adopt the report, uphold the decision of the human resources director, and deny the appeal by appellant Eliason. Second, second. Okay. So we have a motion to uh, adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal that has been seconded. We are now going to open it up for public comment and will ask everyone to be respectful doing your public comment. Uh, if you are in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. 
And would you use the timer, please? Okay. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for your time that prolonged you here since two o'clock. And you're volunteering doing the work. I appreciate your time. My name is Ellen Lee Zhao. I am a government representative from SEIU 1021. The mayor and SEIU 1021 had an agreement, agreed to fire all the people unvaccinated. Now, we're not talking about an isolated case that Eric is here. I'm talking about 1,168 people. We were handed a religious exemption. Now, if you're talking Eric, it's only one person. You're talking about Kim, one person. Talk about me, Ellen, one person. But we are talking about 1,168 Christians, Catholics, and other religions who believe, firmly believe, there's a God who protects us. Yet, I do not blame any of you. I just feel very sad for you to put an N95 indoor because it's not healthy for you. I am a medical worker. I am a behavioral health worker. I am still working in the public. I treat homeless on the street. I volunteer to treat people. And you see, none of you able to wake up at this moment. We, America, under a bioweapon attack. And you lie and lie and lie. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just basically put it right here. San Francisco's hiring discrimination. Now don't talk to me about your non-discriminatory. For you to open border for all undocumented people to come to America, while people are dying on the street, our veterans hungry and dying, and it's okay. For us who tell you the truth about unvaccinated people, about vaccinated people is a choice. And we give you medical reports, ask public health people, ask the human resources director. We, the public health workers, the doctors, nurses gave the report. COVID-19 vaccination, it's useless, helpless. It's a bioweapon. Many people died, young people die, suddenly die, die with heart attack, die with a blood clot. It's all related to a bioweapon. Until this day, you still talk about non-discriminatory. For you to say that this commission continue to discriminate unvaccinated workers, it's already discrimination. You don't have to keep talking about approved, disapproved, non-approved. It's all BS. This is America. We have laws. The laws is called U.S. Constitution, 1776. What you do right here is discriminate unvaccinated workers. May God bless you and you go home and able to sleep, then something is wrong with you. Because you're talking about all the families losing a job because they do not believe in your medical choice. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, any additional public comment? My name is Kimberly Cox. I've been here a couple times and I stand with Ellen and I stand with Eric that was here just now. Um, it's been proven already, even in Florida, they have recalled vaccinations. We know the damage that it does. Because I have common sense, I did not get it. I'd be dead right now. I had to go to my doctor because I have heart or under, um, 
um, medical situations. But anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Um, that's been proven. We have the U.S. Post Office, which my fiance works for, and we both made that decision not to take this criminal shot. They've worked fine during the whole pandemic. They weren't required to get vaccinated. So, and it's been proven again and again that under individuals, I had a sister-in-law just six months ago who was an RN nurse for over 40 years. She died because she took all of those vaccinations and every booster that there was. She left this earth prematurely. And it's not fair that you guys have violated our rights and you guys have come here already with your preconsumptions or whatever and you're made up your mind. So I'm just telling you like it is. It's BS and you guys need to do something about this and bring us back to work. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Any additional public comment in the room? Elizabeth, is there any public comment on the telephone? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. Uh, commissioners, we're ready for the roll call vote on the motion. To adopt the report, uh, thereby denying the appeal. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have unanimously agreed to adopt the report, upholding the decision of the human resources director, thereby denying the appeal. Uh, the appellant has left. We appreciate his being here and uh, appreciate the department's presentation. Thank you. We are ready for the next agenda item. We are now on the separations agenda, item 18, request for a hearing by Reginald Rogers on their future employment restriction with the city and county of San Francisco, recommendation of the municipal transportation director, accept the report, deny the appeal, and approve proposed restrictions, and cancel any current examination and eligibility status. Hey. Is Appellant Rogers with us? Okay, good. Thank you. And who is here for MTA? Yeah, yeah, home with for MTA. Oh, Garcia. Oh, you don't hear me? <laughs> Hello? You guys can hear me? <laughs> who, yes. Who's going to make the presentation for MTA? Can you hear me? Yes. What is your name? Uh, this is Yaya Holmes. Hello? This is Yaya Holmes. We can hear you. Thank Yaya you, Yaya. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. So, hi, like I said, I'm Yaya. Um, the matter before you today is the future employment um, ability of for impellate uh, Reginald Rogers, a former 9153 mm -hmm. operator. Yes. The can, is that can, me? You, can you hold on just a minute? Is there an echo? Yeah. Is it me? And we're picking up an echo. Maybe do you have both your computer and your phone on? No, just one item. 
I, I don't hear it now. Okay, it's better. Okay. Um, okay. And let me know if I need to slow down or anything. Okay. Um, the appellant was an operator from July 1st, 21st, 2014, to until his release on August 22nd, 2023. Hard to understand. Uh oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I'm sitting in the dark. Um, <laughs> am I not loud enough for you guys? Uh, on March 31st, 2023, Rogers engaged in a serious violation of the workplace violence policy. The incident occurred when Roger let the Packers know it was the last stop. The passenger who may have been intoxicated refused to alight and continue to lie down on the coach seat. You know, you you were very muffled. Oh, I don't know why. I sorry. I don't know what's going on. Everything is fine on my end. What kind of device are you using? I'm using my Android phone. Okay. And I virtual Michelle, can she call in instead of just using the the web uh, calling in like by phone? Can you give her the number to call in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can you call four one five six? Hold on, Jefferson. Hold on. I need to be I wish I can test this out beforehand. Um Four one five. Oh, and the meeting ID is two six six three six six eight three four seven nine. Oh, you went way too fast for me, and I can't be. Unfortunately, I don't have light anymore. Is it is the number different? Oh, never mind. I have it on the call right now. Thank you. Uh-huh. He typically has his camera on, but he doesn't today. I I know. Let's see what happens when she calls in. Oh, thank you. How about some caffeine? Too. <laughs> 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 From MTA. Oh, 
Are you getting used to them? Is that will Elizabeth need to unmute her when she calls in? Yes, President Minor, but she still has not called in. Okay. All the things, yeah. yeah. That's the worst that happens. I'm okay. I just don't need to wear them in the shower. My mom is trying out the not the full prescription ones. They're like the yeah. yeah. President Minor, she has called in, so I'm gonna unmute the caller. Okay, thank you. Caller, you're unmuted. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for your patience. Um, can you hear me well now? Oh, this is not great. Okay. Um, this is Yaya. March 1st, 3. Roger. Hello? Uh, well, we are here, and um, what we're hearing so far is someone. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah can we... you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. On March 31st, 2023, Rogers engaged in serious violations of the workplace violence policy. The incident occurred when Rogers let the passenger know, know it was the last stop. The passenger who may have been intoxicated refused to alight and continued to lie down on the couch, the coach seat. In the video, the appellant is observed exiting the coach, and when he returns, he can be seen holding a pink canister with his thumb um, on top. As Rogers walks by the passenger, he pepper sprays the passenger, passenger in the face. The passenger immediately reacts by screaming and holding his face. The passenger is seen rolling on the ground and screaming in pain, continuing to hold his face. Roger makes no attempt to render aid. He closes the door and secures the bus to use the restroom. Upon, upon Roger's return to the coach, the passenger can still be heard screaming in pain, asking for help. Um, at one point, Roger calls tra um, transportation management to report that there was feces on board, but made no attempt to assist the passenger or inform TMC that a passenger uh, was requesting help. The appellant was advised to bring the bus to the yard to switch his coach. Upon the bus arriving at the coach, an inspector um, onboarded the bus and located the feces, but also noted that there was a white substance on the floor. As an MTPD was called and they reported that a muni operator pepper sprayed a pa the passenger. Um, the passenger was screaming that his face is burning and he had snot coming from his nose. The passenger was transported um, to St. Francis because his um, his face was burning. Um, SSMTA takes work 
and place safety, uh, uh, safety seriously, and the decision to terminate um, Roger was made after a thorough investigation, taking into account the severity of the violation and the potential impact on the well-being of all who may come in contact with the appellant. Um, Roger violated the San Francisco Municipal Railway, Railway Rules Instructions Handbook. Um, the employee, ham, um, employee handbook policy prohibiting um, employee violence in the workplace and the equitable, fair, and respectful workplace policy. Um, the appellant attended the Skelly meeting with his union, and he and the union um, had the opportunity to respond to the charges. The union filed a step one, step two, and um, an arbitration on behalf of the appellant. The union was present um, with the appellant at each step. Um, and the arbitrator upheld the, 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 the decision to dismiss. In conclusion, we ask um, the commission's support in upholding the proposed um, employment restriction for Reginald Rogers. Um, the, the proposed restrictions are necessary uh, precautions to ensure the ongoing safety and well-being of our workforce. I hope you guys heard that. <laughs> Um, can you state the specific restriction that MTA is seeking? Yeah, oh, oh just a second. It is a, the ban, as a um, permanent city um, ban, um, I'm sorry, a permanent restriction um, for this um, employment with the city and county of San Francisco and as well cancel all um, eligibility to um, examination and eligibility. So you're seeking a citywide permanent restriction? Yes, because of the workplace violence aspect. Okay, thank you. Uh, commissioners, any questions for the department before we proceed to the appellant? Okay, uh, appellant Rogers. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Reginald Rogers. Um, I was a SFMT employee transit operator for nine years. Uh, on the day in Appellant Rogers, before you start, let me just uh, kind of clarify a couple of things. So the issue before the commission today is specifically the request by MTA that there be a citywide ban against future employment. That's the only issue that this commission is authorized to take up that's before us. I wanted to clarify that because of the documentation you submitted, wherein you are requesting three things, a fair hearing before an unbiased arbitrator, a formal apology, and $5,000 in damages for emotional distress. This commission is not authorized to grant any of those requests. So we'd like your comments to focus uh, specifically on those things that this commission is authorized to do, which is to hear the request, your response to the request from MTA for a citywide ban. Okay? Yes. Okay, thank you. 
Okay, so on the Dan question, which is a which would be April first, um, two thousand twenty-three, I was arrested. Um, there was an alleged incident of uh, pepper spray. Um, I didn't have pepper spray in my hand. It was an emergency tool. Uh, the gentleman who who made the allegation wasn't transported to the hospital or uh, taken to the hospital or whatever she alleged there. Um, he was. I guess treated at the scene where uh, with the officers and whatnot. Now, as far as my arrest goes, I was arrested because supposedly the um, trainee uh, police officer entered my name wrong. It came back that I supposedly had a warrant. Once I got, um, well, not before I got in the car uh, with the police and everything, they searched me and everything got all my personal, no pepper spray, just my emergency tool and the rest of my belongings. Um, they, I asked them, you know, what was I being arrested for? They basically couldn't tell me. And then uh, the cop that, the police officer that was training the um, gentleman said she'll advise me in the car. I said, uh, well, could you advise me now? She said, she's not for sure. So she talked to him. He said uh, it was a warrant there. I told him I didn't have a warrant. She ran my name, couldn't find a warrant or anything. Mind you, by this time, we're being transported to the substation. So we got to the substation. Um, by that time, they had the uh, video and everything up. And the sergeant there, you know, was reviewing the video, came out, apologized to me, said, during him watching the video, yes, I left something in my hand, which was the emergency tool. I don't have a warrant. He apologized for that, said it was a discriminatory situation that I shouldn't have had been arrested in the first place, even with all of this. Um, I don't have a citation, wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, 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 prosecuted or put in jail for this incident or anything. Um, like I said, they apologize and all of that stuff. Th just like she said, this is a serious matter. It's a, actually, I looked it up. It's a felony charge for that, you know, pepper spraying or tear. They were calling it tear gassing, tear gassing, um, someone in those instances. If I did all of that, I would have had a charge for that. I would have had a citation, something regarding that, knowing that they have a video and everything for that. Now, um, like I say, I have a, a letter from the sergeant himself stating that, you know, no charges brought against me, no uh, pepper spraying or anything. During the arbitration, they wouldn't allow me to present that, just like they wouldn't allow me to present my safety tool all these things that would, you know, with that evidence, we wouldn't be here today. I'm charged for something that I didn't even do, that they're claiming. Now you want to, I, I was born in San Francisco. Now you're telling me that I can't work here, I can't have a job here, anything for something that I never even did? That's wrong. They didn't even gather all the facts. Now, she just said something about, uh, white substance on the floor. I'm an owl driver, been an owl driver for 19 years, excuse me, nine years. I never have gotten a clean bus. There's never a clean bus. 
It's always stuff on the floor. I don't know what that stuff is. They didn't test it. Police didn't test it. Nobody tested to see what that stuff was. But allegedly, it's me in this. You don't see any uh, mist, no spray when people get pepper sprayed or whatever it is. Because why? Because it didn't happen. I have the safety tool right now, the same tool I had in, um, on that day. But nobody wants to see that evidence. Nobody wants to hear that evidence. So it's just like cut and dry with them. It's not right. People shouldn't have to get lawyers and bring everything to a trial and sue the city just for something to be done right. It's not right. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, we are now going to open it up for questions from commissioners. Some of the questions may be to you or to the department that's on the phone. Uh, commissioners, uh, questions or comments? Uh, Vice President Favetti. Actually, you said you had a letter from the sergeant apologizing? Yes. You have? I have a letter here. Okay, with this commission to consider it? That's just his business card. You need that too. Pass it to each one of the commissioners. Uh, Commissioner Favetti, do you have additional questions as this is going? Sorry. Uh huh. Uh, Commissioner Leon, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, you mentioned you used the word in, emergency and safety tool interchangeably. What was that emergency safety tool? Uh, it's actually something you use to like uh, break a break a window, break a window, cut a seat belt or anything like that. It doesn't have any sharp edges. Doesn't spray anything. Just makes a clicking noise up when you press it up and down. Is that the tool that you this have on that This is the exact day? tool I had, you yeah. know, and I had a rep uh, photo from showing the union and everything else, which they never present. So it was just misrepresentation all around. So that emergency safety tool, that's yours or is that uh, MTA issue safety emergency tool? MTA used to issue these, not anymore, but this is mine. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Give you a history on it if you like, or no, but I a follow up question is why don't you explain to, to us in your own words, what happened on that day? Well, what happened on that day was the gentleman was he wasn't intoxicated. He was under the influence of some type of drugs. Okay. He was, uh, uh, had feces everywhere on the seat and everything like that. When we got to the end of the line, before we got to the end of the line, I explained to him, you know, I do have to use the bathroom. Had to go to the bathroom bad. When we got to the end of the line, I stopped, told him, you know, last stop, need to use the bathroom. He was using all kind of language, racial slurs and everything else. Told him, look, man, really need to use the bathroom. So I stepped off the coach thinking that, you know, he'll follow me or whatever. Didn't happen. So 
to me, I got my safety tool, like I said, which makes a little clicking sound. So in my head, okay, he's under the influence of something. Were you outside the bus at that time? I was outside at the Okay, he was inside. And he was inside. Okay. So when I step back, you know, in my head, when I step back on, I'm like, okay, he under the influence. Maybe I could startle him a little bit with the, you know, clicking of the safety tool, the sound. Yeah. So I just, you know, walked by him, you know, had the tool in my hand, clicking it, and went to the front. When I got to, thank you. When I got to the front, he started moaning and everything. So my thing in rolling on the, uh, well, he was moaning before that, but he started moaning more, rolled on the ground and then got off the coach. Thinking nothing of it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to the bathroom at this time. So I closed the back door, um, closed the back door and I went to the uh, bathroom, came back from the bathroom uh, then I called in all the feces on the floor, uh, excuse me, on the seat. Um, they told me to pull a bus in. So you called in? Yes, I called that, Okay. Yeah, I called in, let them know that it was feces on the seat. Okay. Um, they told me to pull a bus in. I pulled the bus in. They asked me, you know, was there a, a situation with a passenger? What happened to the gentleman at that time? What happened? Pardon to me? Oh, the gentleman was outside. He was, um, outside, uh, I think, uh, I want to say uh, a female had approached him. I believe it was a female had approached him and was um, uh, talking to him. And, you know, I advised her, you know, uh, be careful, you know, be careful. I'm not for sure, you know, what he's under the influence of, and I don't want you to get hurt. So I told her that, um, waited for the, um, waited for the TMC to call me back and let me know to pull the uh, bus in. So waited for them. They called me back, told me to pull the bus in. Uh, by this time, the gentleman was still, I guess, in the back of the bus, on, in the far of the bus okay. on the sidewalk or wherever he was. Yep. So pulled the bus in. They, you know, advised me that, you know, was, uh, was it an issue on the bus? I said, no, I had a guy that was, uh, that, you know, boo-booed basically on the bus and everything. And, but it wasn't no issue like that, you know, and they said, okay. So I got to the uh, yard, uh, police came out and that's when the whole arrest thing happened. So you said you've been with us for what you have been with us for nine years. Yes. Are you familiar with the MTA policy and procedures with regard to a situation like this? Uh, with situations like that? Yes. Yeah. What, what did you learn from, from, from the policy and procedure when you're faced with the, a situation like that? Well, to call in. Okay. To call it in, um, it's, it's been instances where I've been out there and, you know, police came and it don't end well with passengers. Right. Sometimes. You leave the passenger alone, right? And then you go outside and you call, right? True that, Is that the policy? That That's, it's a gray area in that policy, but yes, sir. What is your understanding of that policy? Um, my understanding of that policy is that you, you know, can try to convince the passenger to get off the coach or anything. Yeah. Um, don't engage, you know, in, you know, physical contact or anything like that with the passenger, which I didn't do. Right. Um, the, then, you know, if you can't get them off the coach to, you know, call in and let right. them know. Now, with saying that, when I got, like I said, when I got back on the coach, clicking my tool, by that time, he had got off. So, but everything is, you know, to me, it's okay. I'm get to go to the bathroom now. It's no. But that's problem. not what you said. I, I thought you said that you went, you went up to him and you start clicking using your own personal. No, I walked by him. 
Yeah, you never, yeah, I so never you went back onto the bus and you, you walked by him and you used the clicker. Yeah, yeah, just walked by him. I yeah. never approached him or anything or, you know, walked up to him or anything like that. I just walked past this gentleman. So, Mr. Rogers, does, does the policy state that you can use a personal emergency tool to try to motivate someone to get off the bus? What does it say in the, the policy itself? It doesn't say anything about an emergency anything. tool, no. Right. Okay, so... To that point, like I said, you know, this tool has history of why I carry this tool, you know, so uh, just to give you a little background on it, 14 years ago, me and my son coming from a football game, gentlemen racing, pa racing past me, car flipped over, big smoke everywhere. By the time I got a quarter of a mile up, him and another passenger was trapped in the car. Mind you, at this, for some reason at this game, they was handing these tools out. So I end up having to break the tool, excuse me, break the window with this tool to get the, his passenger out. That's Got right. his passenger out, had to cut the seatbelt as well for him. By the time I got to him, he died in my arms. From that day on, I carry and keep this tool with me for those exact reasons, just in case something happened, you're in an emergency, you can use this tool. Like I said, it doesn't spray. You can't cut people with it or anything. It's not, it's not for that. It's to prevent, you know, from lives being destroyed, basically. Uh, I, have a, I have a similar tool like that at home. It's to break the window in a case of an emergency or somebody gets trapped in the car. Exactly. Right. But so there's no the policy doesn't state that you have to, you, you can carry your own personal tool in case of a situation like this. Use your personal emergency tool to do whatever you need to do to get in this particular case to get the passenger pay attention to you and get off the bus. Basically, yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't state does. that, but it also does. This is not a harmful object in okay. any kind of way. All right. Let me ask the department then. Thank you. It has something pink. Yeah. So is the department there? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So can you can you address that? Yes, issue? I'm here. Yeah, because in your write up, you mentioned something. There's some uh, there's a pink bottle. Pink spray, some kind of a spray. No, and so if you look at the picture, so, if, so it just if you look at the, uh, the um, page 46, you can see the tool there. And if you I don't have the video, but when you see the video, as he walks by the passenger, um, and he pointed towards the the passenger's face, and immediately the um, the nice. hold on, just immediately the passenger um, starts to scream and hold his face, um, and starts to scream, you know, um, what you know, holding his face, and then he walks outside, um, and that's when he is still screaming and asking for help. Um, during that time frame, so he's actually screaming in pain and acting, you know, and holding his face. Um, and so, so like Mr. Rogers said, he did go to the bathroom. Um, but when he came back, he still could have heard the um, passenger um, scream for help. And as part of that, he could have also contacted TNC to say, hey, this employee, this passenger is asking for help, something's going on. He made no um, move to try to assist his passenger. Um, it, or even when he contacted TNC, he never told TNC what was going on fully. He talked about the PC, but not about this passenger requesting help. All right. So. Um. So, 
MTA, um, what is this employee's uh, appellant Rogers discipline history during the period he has worked for MTA? Uh, let's see here. That is one page. So it's relatively uh, minor one. So he is, he has a long history of discipline per se. Um, so you I'm have. Sorry, you said, I'm so sorry. You, have, you said he did not or did. It's 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 about it starts on page twenty four and it goes to page um, twenty eight um, until page twenty eight. So um, we have some um, conduct issues, um, some uh, some dishonesty, but not a not a lot of. So he was had a on. December 1st, 2021, um, it's, it's counted as a cell phone violation, but in that one it says a PED violation, conduct, pass up, and refusing orders. So there was some issues, but not to this extent. Okay. Any, any discipline that resulted in a suspension? Um, yes, the, the one that, that one, it was, he was actually proposed, um, to for uh, termination in 2021, but it was reduced. It looks like to a 10 days. Um, he had so some of them different. You know, this is why I say they're a little different. He had a suspension for a wall. Um, you know, drive slam stop signs, things of that nature. But the one in 2021 was the most recent one. Looks like for conduct mixed in with PED, and that was a 10 day. Okay, thank you. Um, Vice President Favetti. Well, I just wanted to see if she could, uh, could repeat exactly what was the charge in 2021? A PED uh, so violation. So it was, it was a PED, it says here listed PED violation. So what is a PED? That's a, a personal so, um, cell yeah, phone so device, so, having a cell yeah. phone. So personal device. device. Okay. And that was a 10 day suspension? Yes. For a cell phone? Yes. So, so, so it was said there was multiple charges there. But yes, part of that. Yeah. Uh, Appellant Rogers, since you're in the room with us, why don't you explain to us what was going on with the PE? Yeah. So, at the, my auntie was in the hospital dying. So at the end of the line, I'm looking at my phone, you know, uh, just, you know, checking on her because we can't go into the hospital, but they sent us pictures of how she doing it at the time before she died. So used to send us pictures and things. So um, that's what I'm looking at. I'm not driving. I'm not, you know, in the in the uh, driver's seat or anything like that. I'm just on on the phone looking at the phone at the time. I'm not even talking. So I'm looking at the phone on the time. Uh, MTA policy at that time was that you can't have your cell phone out. You can have it out at the end of the line on the coach and everything, but it wasn't it wasn't clear that you had to go to the back of the coach to use this device, you use your cell phone or anything. So that's where the discrepancy in that came about. Um, then with that, I also you know got that which she said a AWOL. Now. When I got that suspension, I wasn't even back on the platform and they gave me an AWOL. 
and I'm still, you know, finishing serving that suspension. I filed a grievance for that. Nobody never uh, addressed the grievance at all. They said that, you know, I don't, they don't know why I should have got that AWOL or anything. Um, but now the supervisor that did it is not there. So they didn't address it in any kind of way. So that's what she's talking about. But she's also not talking about the accommodations I had. You know, I've been put up for system-wide operator. I've been operator of the month. Within these times, I have uh, accommodations from passengers and, you know, all these things. So they making me seem to be something that I'm not. And it's, it's disheartening. But at the same time, it's like, is to be expected, you know, within the agency because of their practices. But yeah, I'm I'm not a threat or malice person or anything else. So for them to make me seem like that is it's not true and it's unfair. Commissioner Crawley. Thank you for the chair, Madam Chair. Uh, first of all, I want to say to you, you have one of the most difficult jobs besides a police officer in the city. That being said, I want to spend forward with you and talk about the arbitration or the grievance. You were represented, or you were represented by Local 250? Yes. And you're a member of Local 250? Yes. I was, and, yes. Okay, and that went to uh, first uh, grievance Skelly hearing, I suspect? Yes. And then it was gone to arbitration? Yes. And the arbitrator upheld. The arbitrator upheld their recommendation, but like I said, it wasn't it, it wasn't a, a unbiased situation. It was he coached uh, he coached SFMTA through there and wouldn't allow me to present my evidence at all. Um, Did local 250 present your evidence on your behalf. Uh, they didn't. Were they present at that Skelly hearing? Yes, they were present. Okay. All right. Uh, was there any video evidence? Yes, it was. Present? Okay. And what did that video evidence show? Uh, it's not, it shows that I have something in my hand, which was the tool, but it doesn't show me spraying anybody or anything else. They went on his actions of, you know, like I said, him, to me, I believe he was rubbing his own feces, you know, within that seat on itself. Um, so it doesn't show me doing anything like that. Like I said, the police, the sergeant watched the video, spent about an hour or so just going through the whole video over and over again. It doesn't show me doing anything of what they're alleging I did. It just shows the pink, what she's saying is a canister, which is not, but the pink tool in my hand. And then me pass by this gentleman. Like I said, I don't approach him like I'm, you know, finna hit him with it or, you know, anything like that. No, it's, it's, it's not nothing like that. So, Appellant Rogers, help me understand. Help me understand how, what was the procedure when he got off the bus, an ambulance was dispatched, officers were dispatched to the scene. What took place? How did that occur? I know you said there might have been something he did to himself. How did all this occur at that time frame? Um, at the time when the police and the ambulance were dispatched, I wasn't there. 
So I wasn't at the scene when the police and ambulance was there with him. I was on my way to the yard uh, switching out the bus. Okay. No further questions. Thank you very much. I, I want to say to you, you have a very- Yes, i never seen the you know, police or the ambulance interaction with him. They, so, you know, if I seen the police and ambulance you know, drive up, of course I would have stayed there and everything because, you know, like I said, I don't know what's going on or anything, but if they needed my help with anything, then yeah, I would do that. Uh, Appellant Rogers, one last question. What are you doing for employment at this point in time? Uh, right now, I'm going through a training, um, a training process with uh, Amtrak. Okay. Thank you. No further questions, Madam Chair. Thank you for your help. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Yeah, I had a question for Yaya Holmes. Um, yeah. What I'm what I'm hearing is that this was the first incident of anything that of anything that would have been a potential category of workplace violence with this appellant is that correct from what i've seen yes um however you know we do try to impose that you know employees who are guilty of, or I should say guilty, but um, are dismissed for um, workplace violence, that they're not um, to be allowed to work for MTA. Yeah, I understand, I understand that I'm just, we need to evaluate what the work restriction should be. So that's why I'm asking. No worries. Uh, um, But yes, that's correct. I, have, I mean, I have to say, based on what I'm hearing, I, I kind of think the permanent restriction citywide is a little bit too tough, given, given what what we're learning about this situation. Um, so, um, so I do want to bring to your attention that he is saying he. At this whole time, he has not mentioned that it, when you see the video, you can hear the person screaming and asking for help, screaming, screaming. He, at that time, he could have, you know, contacted TNC to ask for help. Um, you know, there's a opportunity. He, even with him hearing this employee, oh, no, I keep saying, sorry, this passenger, he left. He did not try to render aid or any such activity. He could have even said that he was concerned. This person started to scream and hold his face and everything, but you know, which why we indicated. So another thing is that um, he was transported to the hospital. We weren't able to talk to the person, but the inspector, if you look at the report, says that they heard him, you know, screaming. Um, his face was burning. He has not running out his nose. Um, and the, like I say, the appellant could have contacted TMC and say, hey, this is my situation. He did not do that. And we do not, um, even the, the arbitrator, a tool is not allowed, but we do not agree that it was a tool. We, like they believe that it was a, a spray, pepper spray. And I think that is just not acceptable. And this person was not, you know, like this person was intoxicated. All the one of the things I remember him asking was, "When is the next bus?" He just refused to leave. He wasn't belligerent. This wasn't a threat. It was at all. This was not a case of person threatening him at all, 
or being belligerent towards him to justify that. Need for it okay, um, you are muffled again, and I'm actually Ooh. not hearing what you're saying. Oh, sorry. Hello. Okay, can you hear me better now? I think so. Okay, I have to take myself off the speaker. Um, I was just saying that, you know, if you look at the inspector's report, it talks about, um, you know, this employee, this passenger, um, you know, immediately held his face. He was screaming, um, his face was burning. He has not coming out of his eyes. So those are the things that the um, manager looked at, as well as the media reaction. Um, there's this um, passenger was not shown to be a threat in the video um, leading up to him, you know, being pepper sprayed. It was um, the, the operator, you know, exiting the bus, coming with his hand on the uh, the tool, um, i.e. pepper spray with his um, thumbs pointing towards the passenger. And the passenger, you know, as soon as he walks by, the passenger media screen. Um, and at that time, the, the operator did not render any aid. He did not contact TMC, letting them know, even when he talked to the inspector, he still not did not, you know, indicate anything that happened. He could have told the inspector what he saw, and he did not. So all of that coupled with, you know, what the video showed is why we believe that the dismissal, the dismissal and the restrictions is appropriate. So a uh, uh, clarification. Um, what, one of the things we've heard from um, Appellant Rogers is that uh, the passenger got off the bus pretty quickly. Does, does the video show that? What it, what is so, so, so what the video show is that the the passenger is laying down, and then you know, um, as soon as uh, when um, Roger walks by him, um, it, with the the pepper, what we're saying the pepper spray was in, the, um, soon as that happens, the um, passenger stands up, screaming like in pain, and the media holding his face, um, his hands. Um, his face in his hand and starts to screen, you know, and he's kind of like um, walking around like stumbling, you know, and then he um, eventually kind of falls out of the um, the bus and you can see like where his shoes is, uh, one of his shoes is um, still on the bus and then he's on the ground outside. So it wasn't like he, um, it was really him, you know, holding himself screaming in pain and then stumbling outside and then he's on the ground outside rolling. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, Commissioner Leon. Uh, Mr. Rogers, is that the same tool that you used on that day? Yes. Can I see it? Yes. And then also to the department, uh, you, in the report, you, you, there are references to the pink pepper, uh, pepper spray? Yes, and that's based on the video. Was there was there a uh, incident report, MTA incident report uh, written after or was there a um, yes, that it, so I... we don't have uh, uh, the actual police report. So there is an inspector's report that's um, a part of the uh, the the packet um, there, and it talks about uh, um, traders. Um, I didn't hear. 
I'm sorry. What did you? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're muffled okay. again. So there was no. There was a supervisor's report. I, you said? <laughs> I said there is a transit inspector's report in the um the packet, and it kind of outlines what was uh, reviewed. Okay, was there a medical report? Or did the department seek to obtain either an EMT report or there was some indication he was transported, the um, passenger was transported to the hospital? Did you seek to obtain um, the medical report so we could have a better understanding of cause and effect if he was treated? No, we do not have a medical report. Uh, and from what the inspector's report says, that that um, the inspector was unable to talk to the passenger um, because he was being treated. Although the arbitrary. Okay, and so and e EMT did not do a follow up with uh, either the paramedics or the hospital. That is correct. We don't have okay. Anything. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. Grievance. <laughs> um, at some point, uh, Manager Garcia, I'm sorry, your hand was up. Would you like to join the conversation? Hello and and thank you. Um, and you know, I I think Yaya uh, explained everything, laid everything out. I, I, you know, it's a complicated case. It's a case based upon first impressions in the video, which I got to say, as someone who's reviewed the video, it's 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 you see emotion toward the passenger. And instantaneously, the passenger is is in, in agony. Um, the process uh, detailed a Skelly process, a grievance process, and all the independent review. Reasonable minds conclude that something happened that day, and there was a substance on the floor. Today, you have in your possession um, some sort of tool. But on page 31 of this packet, at his Skelly office or his Skelly meeting, he says something like, this is a tool to protect myself against harm. So I don't know what that tool is. I don't know if it's a tool to protect yourself against harm. No. But then I also look at the packet, and from what I can see in your um, possession, it appears to me in the photos that this thing is a round object on the top and it has some sort of pink end on it. And what I see from a distance and from the video is something with maybe a white cap on the top. It was pink. And we're not here relitigating the case because it was all due process and so forth. But I can tell you based on first impression, it was a tough thing to evaluate, number one. But number two, the actions and the response from the individual were so instantaneous that most reasonable minds upon reviewing that video will agree that indeed something was sprayed at the passenger. 
And we can't answer that today, but as you know, these matters are decided on a preponderance of evidence. And the IEL pointed out that something so with such high gravity and such emotion for, for him to call up the TMC and casually report that, oh, I have feces on my bus, it's just not persuasive. And so this is our best judgment and our duty is to protect passengers and transport them safely. And we could not, knowing what we see in this video, uh, justify minimizing his uh, permanent restriction against employment, unfortunately. And that's based on evidence and based on an arbitrator's independent review. And um, that, that's all I can offer. Um, thank you, Manager Garcia. Uh, Commissioner Leon, you are still no further questions. Commissioner. Okay. Since the arbitrator's decision was brought up, I was going to just say that um, on one side, I'm looking at the photos and it's unclear what's there. But when I read the arbitrator's report, or the, oh, uh, arbitrator Weinberg, he says um, that I'm convinced by the video evidence that he did use pepper spray against the passenger depicted in the video. The video shows the grievance after returning to the coach, holding an object in his hand with his thumb on the top as if to spray something. While I cannot spray, see spray coming out of the pink object in convincing detail on the video, the reaction of the passenger is within a few seconds of the grievance approaching his face with the pink object in hand is convincing proof to me that the passenger was sprayed with a caustic substance. Um, and he goes on, so, I, but the question is, before us is whether or not this is, um, is this going to be something, a permanent restriction, as mm -hmm. Commissioner Salveson was saying, or um, would we need to consider something else? Right. May I make a comment? Uh, yes, you may. So, thank you. Um, so b back to what they're alleging, the the gentleman was, like I said, moaning throughout the uh, throughout his time getting on the um, coach. So it wasn't just that. Oh, at that time he, you know, was uh, uh, was making sounds or moaning or anything. No, he had been moaning throughout that whole time. I had passed by him before he even started moaning, like they said. Um, another thing I wanted to point out is they said, you know, upon what you know to them, and you know. He used some like uh, level minds or something like that. So is that saying police officers' minds aren't level? Because they looked at this video and determined that I didn't spray anybody and that there was no charges being brought against me and that I didn't do anything wrong in that instance. So how are how is MTA's determination better than the police determination? Like I said, this is serious charges. These are felony charges. If I had done something like they're saying, I would have been brought up on those charges. No questions asked. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. You know, we're not really in a position to say that the arbitrator made a wrong decision. All we can do is evaluate what is the right restriction. 
um, given the nature of the circumstances. And um, I mean, I still, in light of the fact that um, it doesn't appear there's any record of workplace violence, save for the potential of this incident, um, and you basically had a good record, uh, except maybe using a cell phone when you, you know, out of policy, uh, you know, I, I can see uh, crafting something that's a little less draconian here. What do you have in mind? Um, I always defer to the vast experience of <laughs> Vice President Fanetti, but I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, something along the lines of, um, uh, successful employment elsewhere for some period of time. And I'm not sure we need to have a whole citywide restriction for this. So. Well, what I was thinking is that, uh, you, uh, appellant Rogers, you're, you're applying for the, uh, for Amtrak. Yes. Have they, have you gone through the background check yet? Yes. Went through the background check. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. And you're continuing on in the process in the selection process. Yes, but you know, my thing, I have 9 years with the city. I mean, like for something that I, I didn't do, I'm being accused in. But what we it, have here is, is, is I understand what I understand you guys are, you know, limited on. You can't look at the arbitration situation and everything like that. I, I understand that, but I still, you know, at some point, like I say, some justice has to be done and they, they getting away with with everything. Well, this is what the what you have currently is a recommendation for a permanent lifelong ban against any employment within the city and county of San Francisco, the San Francisco Unified School District and the San Francisco Community College District. And what we're looking at is, okay, satisfactory employment elsewhere for a period of time before you can submit your application again. In the meantime, you've already successfully gone through a portion of the Amtrak that gives you on your way. So, whether it's 5 years or, um, uh, and I don't know, um, if we just say a, a, a non permanent ban 5 years outside experience for any employment within these. That would be satisfactory experience. I mean, that would be 1 option. Um, if it's not back to the MTA for some that are just, if that's the person's occupation, it means pretty much. It's like saying to an RN, um, no. Not back to the Department of Public Health really means not back to the city at all. So, um, so it would be a ban. Hello, is someone else talking? Go ahead. I, I, I didn't. I wasn't. I believe that's probably Yaya that is speaking. Um. Okay, um, go ahead, Commissioner Fervetti. So that's uh, some of the, some of what we can consider. If we say not back to the MTA, as I say, if that's the only occupation he has, but there's many jobs within the city, still the Unified School District, and the Community College District, and we do have background checks that we do conduct um, in the event there's any issues that happen after this. So we start with maybe. Uh, whether it's five years um, outside satisfactory service um, with a, well, I don't know if you can say something, I think it might be prejudicial if you say something with uh, with no record of violence. I don't know. Customer service? Uh, I think it's, it's um, 
implied with satisfactory service. I would think so, yeah. And that's one option. And I'm not sure the appellant would be interested in any non-driving job, but I'm not sure we need to restrict him for five years from a non-driving job in the city. Oh, you're not okay. like outside the MTA. So in other words, well, although we're lot, we have a lot of customer service. Yeah, we do. And so it seems to me that, you know, um, I'm thinking of some of the jobs where customers can be pretty difficult. Um, so if we have three years outside service for non-driving jobs and five years with driving for, for driving jobs, that's one possibility. And so that would be not permanent. It allows somebody to gain a lot more experience and come back. Uh, to be considered, it doesn't mean you're going to get your job back. It means that you can take the test and be considered. And you would have to chat, you know, the, that that's what it would mean. But it means it's not a lifelong ban. Because at this point, you are facing a lifelong ban with the city and county of San Francisco. It can't be lifted. Okay, so 1 of the commissioners, you want to make a motion. Oh, okay, so uh, I would move to uh, recommend that he, Mr. Appellant Rogers, um, uh, be considered for future employment, or well, actually, current all uh, cancel all current uh, uh, examine eligibility status at this point. It be considered after five years satisfactory service for uh, positions requiring driving, and three years satisfactory positions or uh, uh, satisfactory service. For all other positions, is that that work? I would second that. So that would mean he, he cannot apply to any MTA job for the first five years because of any, the ban. Any any driving job at any all? Any driving job uh -huh. for five years. And then for the other jobs, it would be after three years, but satisfactory service. Okay, so we have a motion and a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, oh, Deputy City Attorney, I'm trying to move us along. <laughs> I just had a question that I've never thought to ask before in this context, but when does the timing start? Does it start with the decision of the commission? Does it start with an earlier, some earlier stage in this, or it starts with the commission's decision? Unless otherwise specified by the commission, it starts with the the vote of the commission. Okay. Uh, thank you, Deputy Zareski. So we have a motion to um, cancel all pending uh, examinations, examinations, and. Um, the restriction would be uh, that uh, the appellant must demonstrate five years satisfactory uh, employment outside of the city and county of San Francisco if he seeks to apply for any job that drive, involves driving three years of satisfactory uh, performance outside the city and county of San Francisco for all non-driving positions. If you have public comment on uh, the pending motion, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three. Am I able to, able to make a comment? 
Um, let's see if we have public yeah. comment. If we don't, uh, yes, sir, you may make a comment. I, I appreciate you guys for hearing me and understandably so I do. I still feel that it's not justified of what their their allegations and everything and what was determined upon another investigation. Their investigation, it was undetermined. Um, police investigation, it was determined that I didn't do this. Now I have a wife and six kids. So for them to put this stipulation on me and then you 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 guys to make another stipulation of the five years and three, it makes it very hard. Like I said, I'm grateful for you hearing me, but I just feel it's wrong. I do. We understand that. Um, so just a point of clarification in terms yes. of what you mentioned outside the government, you're talking about city, San Francisco Unified School District. Community yeah, system. community yeah. college system, yes. but it does not include AC transit. It does not include BART. It does not include any of those other mass transportation entities yeah. that are in the Bay that. area. There are yeah. no restrictions as it relates to those. Yeah, I know. Like I say, I worked hard to get to the position I, I am in now. And it takes quite some time. So to see it just all go up like that is. It's disheartening, but I understand. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote on the motion. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. Um, good luck, Appellant Rogers. And we've I've tried to suggest that there are a lot of mass transit entities here and sometimes that service can be bridged and so you should seek some of that out and do well and then after that if you want to come back to the city please come back thank you thank you okay we're ready for the next agenda item item 19 commissioners announcements or requests to go home <laughs> I have a request. <laughs> and it's not to belabor the point, but since SFMTA, I'm going to request that they have their person here in person. Oh, yes. Because it was so difficult to analyze and hear and discuss the appropriations of this case based on what we had to go through tonight. And I want to. Manager Garcia, did you hear that? It's, it's, and I'm here, so thank you. And um, yeah, and, and I've done a lot of these meetings and I'm here in the city and my team is all over the Bay and we do have a telecommute program. So I've, I've been moving in this direction and I appreciate the request. I hope that um, we can do that. I know Bill wasn't present today and, you know, given sort of the content of these discipline matters. Sometimes these packets are so long and we navigate them. It's easy to, you know, use the computer to navigate them quickly. But so there is that in, in terms of being in person, it's a little more difficult, but otherwise um, I can address it with my team and um, we can, we can do that. So, so I, I think even a video laptop 
mm -hmm. would be greatly improved over the experience we had today. Yep. If with a video laptop where the your employee can sign on as a panelist and fully participate mm -hmm. the way you have done in these meetings, I think that that's probably okay. Um, but uh, the the device that was being used did not support good uh, sound quality for a public meeting. And I agree. Thank um, thank you for that. Thank you. Okay. Um, and we're ready for the last agenda item. Item 20 adjournment. It is now 7:33 p.m. Thank you. And thank you for the Valentine treats. Yes. And thank and thank you for the coffee.